Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Line of Vienna Street podcast. My name is Tom Jenkins, and I'm joined by quite the entourage this evening with James Jarvis, Chris Manning, and as a free agent who can't stay away, Will Jones. Usually, this is the part where I would introduce our special guests for the episode, but tonight we don't have one. I'm as shocked as you are, and, and frankly, I, I blame Eddie for not sorting one out, the lazy sod. But anyhow, we thought episode 145 would be the perfect opportunity to look back at the last three months of special shows to discuss the most interesting moments as well as the guests themselves. We've loved making these episodes for you, the listeners, as much as for ourselves. And some of the key talking points from each one certainly deserves an open forum discussion. So, to start at the very beginning, our first special episode of our run, all the way back at the end of March, was with the one and only Stuart Holden. It seems a lifetime ago now, but Will, I'll start with you. Stu is a hero of yours and mine and most Bolton fans. How satisfying was it to hear about the animosity he still feels towards Johnny Evans? Absolutely, it's fantastic, and obviously you rely on uh, you rely on Stu Holden, obviously still having those feelings towards him, and he didn't disappoint for sure. It's uh, it, it's very encouraging to hear that he's uh, he's still no let up in that, you know, and he's he's really uh, and you know no desire to change that, and he was an absolute pleasure to talk to. Generally, I thought as well about his time at Bolton, not just that, and there's obviously many highlights during his time there, although it was plagued with injuries. Nevertheless, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to him, and I think it's it's certainly one of my favourites we've had so far. Yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I think it helps that Stu's got media training, et cetera, et cetera. So as a guest, you know, he gives you all the, the lines and quotes that you want to have, especially the Johnny Evans is a prick one, which Mark Iles couldn't print in his article when he was piggybacking <laughs> off us, but uh, it was certainly one of my favourite bits. James, you were on the podcast as well. Do you think it helps to cement his great relationship uh, to the fans, given that he shares our views of that incident, because so often you hear platitudes from players when they get injured by someone, oh, it wasn't their fault, etc. But he still has, you know, a dislike towards Evans. I think it makes him a bit more relatable, don't you? <laughs> Considering the response that um, when I got Eddie to post that clip of him saying Johnny Evans is a prick, uh, that was that it was went down well. well oh, it well. went down so well. I'm I'm really glad I isolated that in the edit. But uh, anyway, back to Stu. Uh, oh. He, he was just he was just so nice and he was extremely up for it. Whether that's just you know the American positivity shining through or his media training, either way, he was an absolute gentleman. He he was he was brilliant and he had loads of good stories. He was always going into detail quite well with his, his career, what built up to it. He was really honest with us, especially on his feelings about Kyle because he he like he he liked Kyle's sort of style of management, even if it wasn't very tactical based, which is what he was criticizing for. And that could easily have, you know, gotten some ire from some of the Bolton fans for for, you know, Kyle leading us down relegation, but we don't need to go into that. Mm-hmm. He he was especially on his us and I I just appreciated that so much. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I think it might be maybe a cultural thing that he enjoyed the team spirit aspect of it rather than the tactics because I think that probably helped him him blend into to coming into Bolton from that atmosphere. Chris, you were obviously listening to the podcast when we released it. We thought that obviously he had a very positive outlook on his old career at Bolton, even despite the injuries. Do, do you think that that might be gen- not genuine? Given, you know, obviously it's difficult for someone to maybe come to terms with that when they've been remembered so positively, but it didn't quite work out. Do you think he was maybe putting on a facade there? No, to be quite frank, and and I think that one of the that the best points of the the entire run that you lads have had over the last few months has been the the openness and the the transparency that these guys have delivered time after time and Holden being a great example of, of a fellow who's got every right to be miserable and to be and to be unhappy and feel unfulfilled but chooses not to let that define him and I think anyone that's ever met him 
or even seen him on telly, um, can, can know what sort of person he is. And I thought that shone, absolutely shone through during the course of the show, which is absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I, I worried for him because in the aftermath of his Bolton career ending, you never know what's going to happen with a player. But I think he's fortunate that he's in that bracket where he is good with media, you know, got something between his ears, unlike a lot of people. I, I did worry whether or not he'd be able to find something to do. One of the interesting things that I found from that podcast and from the David Wheat one, which we'll discuss later on, is that he didn't seem to think that Mark Davis maybe had the same attitude towards his injuries. And that's why he didn't wasn't able to come back. Will, do you think there's any any truth to that? From your perspective of Mark Davis, do you think it maybe is just you have to have a more positive attitude to be able to come back from such long-term injuries? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Stu spoke very highly of him. He obviously recognised what Mark brought to the team in all those years. You know, he's a fantastic player, naturally speaking. You know, he's exceptionally gifted. And he obviously went through a, a very tough time or so, we understand at least. Um, you know, you, you've got to have a positive mental attitude as much as you possibly can throughout that time. Um, and I think I'm I'm sure the door was always open from from you know the Bolton's club's perspective, but um, it, it's obviously up to the player at the end of the day and, and personal circumstances. And I'm sure that we would have welcomed him back at any point, particularly from a fan's perspective as well. Um, but yeah, you, you'd like to think that he, he would if if he was in the right frame of mind. Um, whether he was or not, obviously I can, only he could tell you that. But it it, it would it would have been nice to see to see Mark back. But it, it's uh, it's great that Stu spoke so highly of him, and it sounds like he's he's still in a relatively good position. And, you know, to an extent, they're still in contact uh, as it is with the club. So it's all positive to hear. And, and it, like I said, it was a particularly informative podcast. And I think that summarised it very well. Yeah. Chris, did the Martin Davis revelation shock you at all? Not particularly. I mean, it was not It was always a bit of an open secret around town, his, his, his nightly habits. You know, you, you'd only have to get in a couple of taxis in town. And chances are, if you started talking football with a the driver, they'd have a story about taking Mark Davis home, absolutely slaughtered one night. And it's sad. It is sad. Um, and you just hope that the fellow's in a decent position now because he had all the talent in the world. Still had a cracking career, you know, Didn't maybe didn't hit the heights perhaps that his fellow pros think he should have done. But he was, certainly was no mug either. You know, he played in the Premier League for a good number of years and, and, and a hell of a lot of appearances for Wanderers injuries aside. Mm-hmm. Just one of those ones, isn't it, where, you know, what might have been? Yeah, maybe had you had you'd have matched Mark Davies' ability with perhaps Stuart Holden's attitude, you, you would have had a, a top-class international player, never mind someone that was just a, a solid... Premier League player but you know there are always going to be regrets I guess that we've, we've had players like that over the years uh, any number of them Yeah I think the, the Mark Davis story is a typical Bolton story almost with not fulfilling potential it seems to be something that happens with us all the time James do you think that we remember Stu's time at the club so fondly because of moments like the Blackburn goal that, that sort of moment that's been immortalised on Twitter etc covers over any any injuries etc that maybe he wasn't as good as we thought he was i'm playing devil's advocate here because i really rated Stu. yeah i can see i can tell you're playing devil's advocate because we all know (laughs) that's uh, that's a bunch of bollocks the blackburn stuff certainly helped and it makes for a very memorable moment to to define stuart holden's career but anyone who was watching him that in the season especially in the season he was playing regularly could see what a consistent talent he was. It wasn't just the fact that he had talent. You know, he could play a pass and he could mix it with some of the best of them. He he was genuinely consistent, which is quite a rarity for Bolton players to get sometimes. And he was an absolute revelation, especially especially him alongside Mwamba. just seemed to be a partnership that somehow worked and kept us up there, up and around the European area, which we, which we would probably never get 
would never have seen again under Gary Megson, and maybe we were worried we were not we would not have seen after the departure of Sam Allardyce. But oh yeah, yeah, Stuart Oldham was just an absolute class act on and off the field, and I'm so happy we got to interview him. Yeah, I think the only reason I mention it is because we've had quite a few occasions over the years, given the amount of injuries that we've had, where players have been out of the team and their stock's risen in terms of fan opinion because they've been injured. And I just wonder, given how long Stu was out for and given the, the slide of the team that, that sort of coincided with him being injured, whether or not we've sort of built him up in our heads to be this amazing player when maybe we're being a bit misguided. But, you know, well, I, I, like well you say, could genuinely see his own impacts because as soon as he got injured, our results did slowly start declining. And exactly, no, yeah. no matter, it's not like, it's not like, say, when whenever Buckley gets injured or when Mike Davis gets injured for the 700th time, it hmm. it it was a genuine loss at that point because he was one of the very few players that we had in that team, or I should say the only player in that team who did his job as well and as consistently as he did. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I've, I've always I've always been a fan of Stu Holden. I, bl- I blame myself for getting him on the back of my shirt because every player I seem to do that to either gets sold or gets injured. It happened countless times throughout the, my time getting involved in shirts. That's why I don't get any names on the back anymore. Um, huh. Chris, he, he talks, we mentioned earlier about how Holden's relationship with Coyle, whether or not it was, like I say, an American attitude, enjoying that team camaraderie. Do you, did uh, listening to Holden change any illusions you had about Coyle's time at the club? Um, I've always considered myself a bit of an outlier on this one. Too, so I don't particularly dislike Coyle, you know, either way. I, I always felt that his efforts were genuine and it just didn't work out. I don't think you can really have too much of a go at the fella for that. Yeah, it was the, the you know, the, the start of the downfall. Fine. But at no point do I feel like the guy did anything that was disingenuous. I always, you know, met him once or twice. He, he always spoke well. You could tell he really cared about the club and he just came up lacking at the end of the day, which, you know, I, any number of players, any number of managers have done across history. So I was quite pleased to see him get a little bit of backing from one of his players. Granted, Holden's situation is slightly different in that he wouldn't have had any, any sort of English career without Coyle's influence. So he's bound to naturally be a little bit prejudiced in his favour. But no, I, I've never felt too much um, meanness or anything like that towards Coyle. I, I certainly look back on the high points of his time at Bolton really, really favourably. I know I've seen any number of people lately sharing videos of goals and things like that. Memorable ones over the last few years, and quite a lot of them are coincidentally from the Coyle era, when mm-hmm. we played some cracking football with some cracking players. Yeah, you know, fine, the defensive structure might not have been what it might have been, but I don't particularly watch football for defensive structures. Give me a 4-3 over a, a 1-0 any day. Yeah, you're there for the 4-2s against Spurs and the 5-1 against Correct. Newcastle. Yeah, just uh, to I think finish we've got off. some really good, really good memories to look back on, and I think it's oh, yeah. it's maybe slightly unfair for people to to paint him as being a some sort of naive idiot out of his depth. Because that that first season and a half were absolutely tremendous, one of the better season and a half of the, of the entire decade for me. Hmm. To finish off the uh, discussion of Holden, will I'll come to you? Do you agree with Chris on that? That the time that we had under Coyle that Holden spoke so fondly about with all those good results. Do you think that it is tarnished by the way it ended or do you look back at it and think that they were just good for what they were? Yeah, I think to an extent, obviously, we, we have so many memories from, from that particular era, you know, good and bad or, or, on and off the field, like you say, and obviously Stu recalls it fondly to an extent and, you know, every, everybody knows the, the tale of the table tennis stuff at training and what have you and, you know, as great as that is and you, you, you have to have team bonding at the end of the day. There's no debating in that, but I think when that takes over from 
natural tactic works and, and what have you, it's, it's a little bit concerning. But it seems to work for at least at first for for that period of time, which is which was encouraging. And you've got to give Coyle credit for that, I suppose, as a manager. You know, you can't take that away from him, I suppose. But it obviously all fell to pieces after the uh, after the Stoke game, and I think you know after that, you know, no manager could have been forgiven. So I don't no. think it was particularly Coyle's fault personally. Um, but he just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, I think. Yeah, but when we spoke to Steve, of course, had he been playing in that Stoke game, who knows what would have happened. But, you know, if buts and maybes, etc., etc. Right, Mo- moving on. I would love to be able to discuss Holden a bit more, but we've got a lot of guests and a lot of different stories to be able to discuss. The next one that we did afterwards was with Radi Jaidi, a personal favourite player of mine. And it's a really good interview as well that I really enjoyed making. But we heard from him, and we've heard now from a lot of players who played in the big Sam Allardyce, how... He pulls out all the stops to be able to get them to the club, as he did with the international whites like JJ, Aero, Campo, etc. But it seems to be a recurring theme that Sam, when he doesn't want you, he then tosses you on the scrap heap, which is what happened to Jaidi at the end of his career. Chris, do, do you think that Sam's treatment of players like Jaidi and others around about that time was justified, given that football is, a, is quite a ruthless business? Yeah, and it, it, it put me in mind of the Pedersen one we did a couple of years ago when he treated him yeah. exactly, exactly the same way. And... You know, on a human on the human side of it, yeah, you know, it's it's cruel and it's it's unfortunate for the player and the families and the life and you know whatever. It, from a football point of view and from a fan's point of view, couldn't really care less. To be perfectly frank with you, I was very happy and I remain very happy at the time of a a player doing th- a manager doing things for the club's benefit and for the manager's benefit, not necessarily for that fella and and what he might prefer. For far too long, you know, in the past we've been loyal to players who haven't been good enough and we've just stuck with them. Because, oh, well, they've been here, like, Zach Knight, for example, hung around like a bad stink for years and years oh, and years. God. Should have been potted long before <laughs> he, he left. Uh, lots of players like that we've had that we should have got rid of far, far quicker. And then I suppose if you're treating all the players like that as commodities, then you win some, you lose some. Um, I feel sorry for the, the ones that are half-decent blokes, like Jaidi, like Pedersen, for example. The rest of them, not really that bothered, to be honest. Do you not think, though, that obviously you've got to pick and choose which ones that you treat like that? Because I think Jaidi certainly had another year left in him. Campo may well have done. Stelios, Possibly. I think, may well have yeah. done. Yeah, I think you've got a good... It's a very, very fair point. Um, but, you know, the ones that we have binned off who went, then went on to disappear out of the game, maybe there's more of them than the ones no, that possibly. actually could have, had another, could, have had, could have had another year. Um, I think on the balance of things, Sam certainly got more right than he got wrong. Um, but oh, not yeah. to say that someone like Jadie, who came across as an absolutely cracking human being, deserved better. I, I don't disagree with you there. No, fair enough. J- James, do you think it would even slightly taint Sam's legacy at the club, given the way he seems to treat these people who are stalwarts and real fans' favourites? Po- uh, possibly, but at the end of the day, you're a manager and you sometimes have to make those tough decisions. And uh, like I agree with Chris in saying that Sam got more right than he did wrong. You don't... Mm-hmm. You, as as proven by Coy, you can't always get by being a being a happy chappy and always being nice to your boys. Sometimes you do have to just be upfront with them, honest, and say, "Look, look, th- this is how I see you. Um, you. This is probably the best for you, etc., etc." And and Sam, as as we've even seen in interviews ever since he's left the club, has proven to be that's his philosophy, and and it worked for us. So. So, no, so as bad as it might be, maybe psychologically or socioeconomically for some of the players to, to you know, to move to move on, maybe a tad too early. It, it sometimes worked out for them. Like in like in Jaidi's case, he did well at Birmingham. Eventually, he did he did well at Southampton, and now 
he's a pretty renowned coach in the game. So maybe it was just maybe it was always meant to be in Riley's case. Yeah, what interests me about this whole thing is, as you say, Chris, we've interviewed Pedersen, we've now interviewed Jaidi, we've we've talked to others, Kevin Davis as well. Obviously, his time that the club came to an end under a different manager, but they still remember the time under Sam Allardyce so fondly. That's the thing. Maybe it doesn't matter that it came to an end because I think, as you said, Chris, you just enjoy the ride while it's still going. Mm-hmm. Maybe that that's the most important thing. But I, I don't a... know. I, I look at it and see how positive his relationship with Bruno and Gotti was. And then obviously they ended up going to, to Birmingham. Maybe they had another season left in it, which could have spared us Abdullah Mate. But I don't know. Looking back, it's very difficult to be able to make that judgment. What do you think? Totally agree. And, and, and I've always thought, if you look back over the last 20 years, very few players have left Wanderers and done much better. Even mm-hmm. the ones that we expect, you know, an Elker aside, I guess, the ones that we expected to leave and maybe do better, even didn't. So Thompson, McAteer, you know, McAteer played at the top flight, in the top flight for a long, long time. Thompson played for England. Maybe that's a little bit unfair. But when we've, <laughs> lost, when we've lost big players over the years, players that were important to us, they haven't exactly gone on and ripped up Benny Trees. I mean, not Nobed Medine, for example, Vela, Wieter, <laughs> players that we were all extremely He's not even sad. He's on the podcast, Chris. Why do you have players. to play every time? <laughs> players that, I'm, I, as a general point, illustrating my point, as a general <laughs> rule, at the time, we were disappointed to have lost them, or some people were disappointed to have lost them, let me put it that way. None of them have, have gone on and particularly done much. Yeah, to be so, fair. So, you know, I, 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 again, I, I don't lose much sleep over the players that we've got rid of in the last 10, 15 years. No, you're exactly right, Chris. I think I can only think of Anelka, like you said, and Gary Cahill, maybe maybe Rob Holding mm-hmm. as well. But other than that... Cahill and Holding, yeah, perfect examples. Yeah, yeah. but that's really it. Well, Will, like I said before, Roddy spoke very highly of his um, partnership with Bruno and Gotti. Do you think that's the best centre-back pairing we've seen in recent times? I think it's totally up there. You know, obviously myself being uh, being a little bit, you know, beyond that time. I think you know, be looking at the likes of Kale and what have you, and and, and sort of that era. But I, I think for sure that they were certainly a, a partnership to be reckoned with, and uh, you know, <coughs> certainly Matt one Fish. of the best. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he had to get a mention. Um, no, yeah, certainly they're a fantastic pairing, no doubt about it. I just unfortunately wasn't there to experience a lot of it. Would you like to put forward Mark Fish and someone else? Maybe who who did he who would he have played with at the time? Colin Hendry. <laughs> Oof. Well, maybe not. another one you're talking about the human side of things. Uh, no, yes. Mark Fish was Mark Fish was tremendous. I think he could have played with any of the the great Bolton centre halves of the last ten fifteen years. So yeah, Laville, Cahill, and Gotti, people like that. Oh, Abdul Abdulli Fay. You know, yeah, there's, there's lots of play, lots of yes. players. Tal Ben Aim, exactly. You know, we've had some cracking players there. Unfortunately, none of which, none of whom tended to stay around uh, that long. No, but that's Christ, the issue. I think look, looking back, Roddy, I think you've become a bit because if he sorry. he didn't manage the sorry, Chris, he, I just felt bad for him because he he left when Abdullah Faye was suddenly hit mm. properly hitting his stride. Um, Talbanaim, uh, I know Liam will be listening to this, and he he was a huge fan of Talbanaim. Again, yeah, cracking rem- player. I, I remember him being shunted out to left back almost incredulously. You know, to try and make space for Mate and Faye to play at centre half, and it just makes no sense to me. I mean, he was probably the best centre half that we had. But... Yeah, he made his debut at right back against West Brom away, and he was shocking. And then <laughs> next, thing, you know, next thing you know, twelve months later, we've got an absolutely wonderful, wonderful player there. Uh, but it's, it, I think, at the time, and maybe even now, we've become a bit blasé about some of these names. I mean, obviously, given the crap we've had in the team the last five to ten years, it, it's obvious, and, and I suppose it's easy that we focus upon that. But looking back, then some of the names had through the years, you know, like even like Vincent Candela, all kinds of people that you, you forget about. And it's only through listening to some of these podcasts and listening to the yeah. names brought up, Arna Gunlags and you know, Christ, there's there's hundreds of them. They had some fantastic plays here. 
Yeah, well, Roddy spoke a lot about that team getting into Europe and how it didn't surprise him, almost, given the quality that we had there. And I think mm-hmm. as Bolton fans, we've become, I don't know, accustomed to mediocrity. So we, we, it was shocked us completely that that is what happened. But when you see the names on the team sheet and the quality of player that Sam had at his disposal, it doesn't really surprise you now, looking back, that they managed to make it into nope. Europe. But I think the issue that Sam encountered was that he had so many good players that he had to rotate them all. And maybe that is a reason why there had to be some people shunted out at the end of that season. James, you remember from the podcast, he said that he, Roddy said that he became disillusioned with the fact that he was in the team one week and then out of the team because of a European night, etc. Do, do, do you think Sam handled that in the right way? Uh, I'm, uh, I think that's up for debate, really. You can't really say, because that's, that's a, a selection headache most managers would love to have. And Sam mm. was fortunate enough to have it. So that's that's really up for debate. But but to to have a team even with just four strong centre backs there you've got five Jaidi Ben Benaim and Gotti I I wouldn't be able to choose out of them either if if I had to let one of them go I'd I'd struggle to choose and they'd just end up Sam Jaws Jaidi by the end of it so nothing mm-hmm. you can do really yeah in hindsight Will do you think that Sam made the right call given that European commitment seemed to be something that the smaller clubs when they make that step up struggle with nowadays and we still managed to finish eighth with that kind of policy. Yeah, I think absolutely he did very well to to make you know get us to finish where he did. At the end of the day, he has to make his decisions as manager. It's what he gets paid for. So, you know, yeah, you know, every manager's got to come across something which you know is is, is not favourable with the fans, perhaps. But it, it's you know it's the best for the club in the long in the long run. Although, you know, that proved not to be very effective anyway. Though you know that was obviously largely out of his control. Um, yeah, it, it's just a decision which which any manager I think would have to come across, and I think he he dealt with appropriately. Fair enough. I think the last thing I would say about Jairi is the big question that we saved right to the end, didn't we, James? Will he come and manage us at some point? Um, Chris, would he be the kind of person that you'd be looking to come over and, and do a job for Bolton in the future? Or would you want to see proof of record first? Uh, no, I think I think he's got every right to be in the in the in the discussion. I think his, his credentials, his experience, what he could possibly bring, uh, the fact he's not afraid of a challenge as well as we've seen with him disappearing over to the states in in one of the lower leagues there, to learn some more about his craft. Why not? I mean, he, he, granted, he only played at Wanderers for, for a short time, but I think what he's done in the game since is much more impressive. And so, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good one. I, you know what? I think there's one of these discussions where I'd almost like Wanderers to be at the forefront of, you know, in, in, increasing the representation of the, of the BAME um, manager in the game. It's not always a token gesture when someone like Jaidi has got a, a track record in coaching, especially youth coaching, and given the way that we're going to have to aim in in the new world with, with restricted budgets and what have you, I think he'd be a great choice. I think him, someone like him or David Lee would have a similar claim to the throne. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. James, you spoke to him. Does Jody come across as Bolton manager material to you? Uh, well, well, I can only hope. So I'll have to see how he's. <laughs> I'd have to see how his managerial career career uh, first team level calls across in the states first, but but. Just from his record down at youth level, I would love him as a manager. I'd be willing to take a punt on him. Yeah, I, th- I think given our situation, as Chris says, with lack of budget and having to promote youth, he could be the kind of perfect choice. But, um, you know, that's for the future to decide. And I, I, like we said in the podcast, he was such a nice guy to speak to and I, I would wish him all the best. The one that we did after that, and Will, I know this was one of your favourite ones, was with Adam Lafondra. 
I think one of the hmm. key things that we that we got from Alfie, obviously with it being the second time that we've interviewed him, this was obviously the longer format than the first one, and in better conditions than in a loud Starbucks with people ordering lattes in the background, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> um, in that 2015-16 season, after he had finished his first spell with us, he he made it clear that Neil Lennon clearly wanted him, and it was the finances yeah. that were preventing that from happening. He said that Medine, Gary Medine, was signed to play alongside him. Do you think, it, had that managed to come to fruition, no other signings, would we have stayed up that season had that been able to, to uh, come to pass? You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? I mean, it, it was so effective the second time round that I, I, I think you know straight away had that been a had that been a partnership, I think it would have been it would have worked excellently. And I know Chris will disagree with me there, um, particularly on on Medine and, and his role in that. But I think they worked so well the second time round that given that chance, I think it perhaps would have would have worked a dream. And you know, again, it's just a chance of you know what if it, it's a case of what if um, rather rather than you know whether it happened or not, but. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly a partnership that, that was proven to, to work in the end and it would have been nice to, to have two goals at it, to be honest. Yeah, Championship level, Chris, do you think Clough in behind Alfie and Medine would have kept us up on its own? Uh, I think Clough behind Alfie and somebody else might stand in the chance. <laughs> but that's the obvious, that, that's the obvious answer. Um, I, I don't know, it's a tough one, isn't it? I, I, I still struggle on any conceivable level to, to think of Gary Medine as anything other than a, a, a League 2 striker at best unless you discount <laughs> penalties and keep free kicks and tappings um, so no no to be perfectly frank I, I don't think it would have been enough I think I have very very mixed feelings about Alfie on, on the surface of things and, and my, my heart over my head lovely guy cracking player for Wanderers and gave us some absolutely brilliant memories um, so I'll, I'll never never say a particularly bad word about Alfie as a as a character I mean on, on paper Looking back, his goal record isn't anything to shout about, unfortunately for us. Um, I Do you think, think that's time, due to lack of opportunity, though? I was just going to say, I think at the time he, he paid for for playing in a particularly poor Bolton team. I'd have liked to have seen him play with a Wanderers side, with the likes of, you know, with Chris Eagles in his pomp, um, with more development from the likes of Clough and, and Vela being able to play further forward. I think it would have provided him with far more opportunity um, and had we got him a couple of years earlier, then you might have seen a, a, a different result in that column. I, I, I think with... that. Yeah, sorry, go on, Chris. No, no, no. Don't feel free to interrupt me. But I, yeah, I, I was I, just going to say. I think, as you say, it, it, Alfie could have played with anyone. To be honest, I completely agree with you on that point. You know, exactly. at any stage in in that period, you know, he, he could have played alongside anyone and, and still bagged just as many. I just think what what it would have been like. Imagine if Neil Lennon would have been able to sign him after his loan spell. He would have mm-hmm. tore it up. <laughs> He, he's, yeah, he, he played the kind of that style spell, that wasn't he? Oh, he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. He was he was a confidence player though. That was the thing, and I I never felt felt like he got it, that it, confidence. It always took him some time to do to, that job. Yeah, sorry. It, it always took him some time to get going initially yeah. in both his loan spells. Like what was it like seven or so games in Lennon's spell, and then it took him about five, six, seven or eight, maybe more, in in mm-hmm. this time with Parky. But but as we all saw when he when he got going, he really got going. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think with Alfie, and Chris has a very, very good point there, that if you'd have put him in that 2012-13 season where we couldn't get over the line in the playoffs and you'd have replaced Stordell and Craig Davis for Alfie up front, there is no way in hell that we don't go up that season, in my yeah, view. Yeah, but, Alfie, that, that was tearing, perfectly but Alfie was tearing it up in the Prem with Reading at that point. So, Well, yes, he was, but no one expected him to do that. He, you know, he was super sub at Reading. If he wanted first-team football, I'd have given it to him in a heartbeat. But, you know, anyway... <laughs> 
We, yeah, it's we, interesting. We I, I certainly, I certainly agree with all your points, but I, I don't think that was my favourite podcast. If I can be honest with you guys, either I think it was because uh, we've spoken. You know, like, so you guys have spoken to him before. I haven't. Um, I, I felt like yeah, he was, was maybe a little. To be fair. Yeah, he was a little bit guarded. You know, granted, we wanted a bit more, a bit more detail going back to the Anderson era, which obviously couldn't do for various reasons, which was a yeah, bit I was disappointing. Come on to but that. that was disappointing. Yeah, it was understandable, but a little bit disappointing as a listener. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's interesting that there is still some trepidation amongst the players to discuss the Anderson ownership and it just shows what a horrible working sure. environment that must have been. But, you know, I don't want to describe it as a cult of fear, but it just it just goes to show how bad they were, doesn't it, Will? Definitely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, obviously, Alfie was reluctant to uh, to speak on it and, you know, it, it's it, it's absolutely understandable that that he couldn't really, or, or at least he didn't want to, uh, to get himself in trouble. You know, he's, he's obviously doing very well for himself and he's... He, you know, made the decision. I don't the right decision. I don't think anyone could could argue with him in that. You know, make, making the move of a lifetime of him off opportunity. You know, I'm, I'm extremely jealous of of him. If anything, especially the way things would go in. You know, and it obviously didn't improve to any extent whatsoever either. So, um, yeah, you know, fair play to him, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it's I I would have liked to obviously keep him longer. He was one of my favourite players. I as I'm sure you know. Um, it, it'd just be nice for it to to have lasted a little bit longer though I, I agree with Chris to an extent that it, it, it's, it's it's second time round at the end of the day you know and exactly, Eddie's yeah. spoke to him and, and whilst it wasn't in an extremely large coffee shop he had to he had to make do with what he could to be fair bless him Eddie he travelled I don't know how many thousand miles <laughs> to do it but um, <laughs> yeah no I'm sure there's all expenses a, paid absolutely obviously um, yeah. but yeah I'm sure there's better listeners out there I'd take that uh, take that point on board for sure but you know obviously I'd, I'd many others in the pipeline and you know I'm, I'm in no way disappointed with the chat we had with Alfie but I'm, I'm sure we had we had better ones at the end of the day there was just that topic wasn't there that, that, that there's this big elephant in the room and we had to spend the podcast ignoring it and you've got the Peterborough game the, um, the Nottingham Forest game which we discussed with so many of our guests and it is they are such iconic moments but I think from a fan's perspective, you really want to get into that nitty gritty, and it, it was, as you say, well, a shame that we that we couldn't do that. J- James, did you did you feel as though it, that detracted from the quality of the podcast overall? Uh, it, in a, in a sense, because you you know it's what everyone wants to talk about. It's such a messy situation that but you can't help but be intrigued by it. And I'm worried we'll never be able to find out the full details. Maybe if Netflix ever decides to do a documentary about it or something, it's taking over from Sunderland, maybe then we'll finally hear the full story. But it's just one of those things. And I don't blame Alfie for not wanting to tell us. You don't really want to mess with a con man, considering how slippery they can be. and what. I don't, what... I don't think that it's that he didn't want to tell us, James. I think it's just perhaps that he didn't feel as if he could. No, I mean... Yeah, no, no. I mean, didn't want to tell us in the sense that he didn't want to risk getting... You know, bollocks no. over in in legal in litigation or whatever whatever stuff. Whatever. I don't think no, he'd have told I think anyone. Anderson strikes me as a litigious bloke, certainly. Yeah, I don't think he'd have told anyone anything. If he's got any money, of course. <laughs> yeah, like you said, you wouldn't you wouldn't mess with him if you had any sense, to be honest. So, um... no. One person who did go into detail about um, Ken Anderson was our next guest afterwards, which was David Weeter. Now. It was interesting to even get David Wheater on the podcast, boys. Um, Chris, did he manage to change your opinion of him? I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah, uh, fair really? enough. I thought he, yeah, I thought he was really oh. open and honest again, and and I thought it was really interesting. Listen, um, I've, I've again met fella once or twice. He's always been really pleasant in the flesh. I just thought he hung around like a bad smell at Wanderers for far too long. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we've even seen with the manner of his departure and his constant, his fluttering of his eyes back at the club in the last <laughs> transfer window, which was a bit, a bit pathetic. It was very um, open, wasn't it? Like, but, yeah, I mean, he tried yeah, to yeah, use the podcast say, almost to try to get back to the club. Yeah, I totally agree, and I respect him for it. I thought it was really interesting, and I thought again the method, the method you guys used to to get that out of him could have been really good because yeah, I mean, over the years, don't really want to. I'm not, not going to apologise for it, but not held back in any sort of criticism of, of the mm-hmm. fellow when I felt it's been warranted. Um, but yeah, as a, again, as a human being and as a as a bloke, absolutely no issues whatsoever. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, James, he wasn't the same sort of brash, outgoing person that we've seen in media and interviews and some of us on nights out, for example. But given the history with the side, do you think he was a bit guarded? Do you think, as Chris said, he he was a lot more open than you thought he was going to be? Uh, probably a bit of calm man, a bit of calm B. I think there was like certain things he'd be wary wary about telling us, considering the history, like maybe addressing bad performances or some of the. But, but when it came to say maybe some of the players he played alongside or some or some of his thoughts on the managers. He was quite open, um, so 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 maybe it was just certain topics he didn't want to talk about, or maybe we just needed to get a couple of drinks in him first. I don't know. <laughs> Game drunk, were James? All right, we'll keep... <laughs> I'd like you to we'll have pressed him on that. Out, out, out of interest, I'd like to to have maybe pressed him on that, uh, not necessarily for himself if he didn't feel comfortable in it, but the squad at the time. Obviously, you know, it was quite fractious, wasn't it, between supporters and between players, and to. To maybe understand what they feel. I know you, you mentioned it on the Rob Holding podcast about the Arsenal fan TV thing, for example. Mm-hmm. I, I would have liked to, had I um, been in your shoes, Tom, I might, I might have pushed him on that. But again, oh, like you say, he may have just shut up shop and hung up. <laughs> you know. so that, that's the thing, Chris. I, was, I wasn't sure what kind of reaction we were going to get. And mm. it was similar. I mean, we'll, we'll link Josh Vella's podcast into this as well, which actually I, I, I really enjoyed Josh Vella's podcast. Um, he's obviously good friends with Weeter and that their relationship seemed to sort of categorise at the time. Um, characterised, sorry, the uh, decent relationship that there was amongst the team back between sort of 2016, 2018 and the uh, promotion and survival seasons. But I, th- I agree. I, th- I think had you pushed him on that, because it's probably odd for those players to think about that time negatively, because a lot of us do have quite negative memories of it and we've spoken about it at length. But for them, they got promoted and they stayed up. So maybe they don't really understand where we're coming from, but... I- um, again, I think as James said at the beginning, I think I'm playing devil's advocate with that one, mate. Yeah, it's it's probably it's probably easier to have a different perspective when you'd be able to see the behind the scenes stuff as well. Like David Wheater obviously saw regularly on occasion and saw all sorts over the years how the club tr- changed from being a Premier League, uh, you know, you know, mid table side to now languishing in the depths of League One. So yeah, he probably has a different perspective. Mate, Maybe not wiser, or maybe wiser is not the right word, but <laughs> but definitely a more 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 aware knowledge of how everything's panned out that that yeah. that allowed that would have allowed him to see things differently from us. How do you view his time at the club as a whole, lads? Feel free to any of you to jump in because he's quite polarizing amongst you know us here, the greater fan base. You know, I I don't know really what to make of it. If I, if I had to sum it up, if if he had left the club after that. After the season we got relegated, uh, after Lenny after Lenny left, I would probably have forgotten all about him. But that, but but when he just made I this like massive that. resurgence uh, alongside Beavers in that in the in the League One promotion campaign, where frankly those two were pretty much unstoppable that season, they were brilliant together. He he, he completely changed my opinion on him and started so showing a more dem ah. Sorry, sorry, I'm struggling to get my words out. Especially, maybe it was because he was actually playing regularly because he he didn't get injured in the last three years of us, or or yes. any time he did get injured, it, he was bare, 
it was he wasn't on the shelf for that long, so maybe that's what changed it. I think I'd only... He's another one who sort of remembered a bit more fondly when he was out of the team. I think when we were struggling, while he wasn't playing, everyone sort of built him up in their heads, thinking that he was going to come in and save us. But... Yeah, you brought that up with the Stork game. I remember? Yeah. No. Well, well, well I, I, I completely, you know, cannot believe with the Stoke game that he wasn't there because I think if he had been, we'd have been a lot more solid. I think in the um, West Brom game when he got injured, if he'd there been there afterwards, he would have made a huge amount of difference. Because, you know, well, anyone would have made a bit more difference than a partnership with Boyata and Zat Knight, for Christ's sake. Oh, but, God. I mean, it is, it is what it is. I, I don't mean to be ridiculously negative on this aspect, guys, but the guy played 220-odd games for us. I could probably remember about four that, that stick out in the mind, five maybe. And and that's only because he was part of the greater hall as we were chasing promotion in League One. He stuck around far, 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 far too long. Even when we released him, he still came back. Even when he, he made that ridiculous, around, he turned it around though. Did he? Did he? Well, I mean that 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 one season, yeah, fine. Um, but after that, he hung around a good year too long. After that, maybe eighteen months after that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I just, to be fair, I'm not sure if I would have kept him after we we stayed up in League One. Uh, but I probably would have gone out and got some. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, um, it's. Yeah. it's Sorry, James. No, it's, well, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say because um, he he noticeably started, maybe he noticeably started slowing down at least to me in that in that season when we got relegated again. So and that you could tell, you could tell the it was starting to get to him. It's the Adama Traore game that sticks out for me. We we had just been about twenty seconds behind Traore while he's already gone past him. To be honest, we had twenty seconds behind everyone coming out of the flipping tunnel. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sinker a bottle of Heineken, I would have thought, but either way. Oh, he's not um, going to well, like us again, is he? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I, I stuck up for him. I, I, my, my memories of David Wheater are, are very, uh, as I said before, it's polarising. I, I don't know what to think. I, I, part of me looks at him and thinks, as Chris says, he hung around like a bad smell and it's sort of synonymous. So is Darren Prattley as well. You know, these two players who, again, polarised the fan base. They stuck around during the worst times of the club while we plummeted down the leagues. And yet, Part of me still thinks that they were good. Part of me still thinks they had their uses, but I don't know if that's just sort of looking at the crap that we've got in our team right now and maybe just bigging them up because they were slightly above average. But either way, I, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what you think, Well, Yeah, no, I, I, I always liked Wheat, to be fair, to an extent. And I thought towards the end of his time with us, he, he, he sort of knew that it, that that was coming and I knew that he kept getting these contract extensions one after another at the end of the years and and he obviously had the option to do that and you know even if he doesn't even if he didn't he made sure that it that it was going to happen or at least he had the best chance of doing by by queuing up at the chairman's door you know nine o'clock the next morning after being out on the piss but you know <laughs> everyone has their own ways of, uh, of dealing with it you know and he's got to make a living at the end of the day you know I'm sure that that plays at this standard on, you know, in such a luxurious position whereby they can they can go years without work at this stage. And you know, fair play to him for trying for you know making his career last so long and, and for being such a good servant for ourselves. And I think he's performing relatively well at Oldham at the minute. I mean, obviously they're 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 a step below us, and you know, potentially going to be at the same level as us next season. But yeah, it'd be interesting to to come up against him next year. And and, and if the, if it moves on the card to to come back, then. You say I, that I like he won't it, sign it, for it, us it, next season. No, he's no, absolutely I, signing for us next season. There this is exactly what. This is exactly what I was getting at. Yeah, the whole thing. Sorry, go on, Chris. No, I was just saying this is this is exactly what I was saying before about us holding on to players for far too long for no obvious reason. Wheat has been part of a shit Olden team. He was part of a shit Bolton team. Why on earth would he want to bring him back? He's talking about us meeting Oldham next season. 
Fucking hell, I hope David Wheat is playing. We have some fantastic <laughs> to have a you have a centre out a centre forward who's moderately mobile. He'll absolutely run rings around Wheater. You don't have to be a Dharma Traore to skin David Wheater flipping it. Yeah, to, no, yeah, to be fair, can, especially because he didn't play as much and he got still managed to get two, maybe three red cards that season. I'd, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh I'd, I'd, I'd be down to have uh, Fal run rings around him next season. Uh, possibly. Yeah, it'd be nice for us to come up against him and, and test him for his worth at that level, but... No, I, I have no comments about what he did for us at the end of the day, and I know that whilst Chris perhaps wouldn't be in as much in agreement with me as, as this, you know, I thought he did very well up until up until the last, really, you know, especially his involvement on on the day of the Forest game and and the Peaceborough ones and what have you, you know, he still showed he could do it where it mattered and, and at Port Vale as well, of course. And as a as a podcast guest generally, you know, I thought he was very good. He's very open, very honest. I don't know whether it was his first ever podcast. I'm not sure whether it's him that had said that. But... <laughs> You know, he, he's he, got the bug he, for it now, Will. Now he's doing his own um, yeah, Instagram no, lives. I've been watching them and they're, they're, they're highly entertaining, you know, if, if you're in the right mood for it. Well, they're highly uh, entertaining know, because of the uh, kind of attitude that he implemented on the rest of the Bolton squad along with Josh Vella, which was let's oh, get yeah, leathered absolutely. all the time. Absolutely. But I'm grateful that he, he was relatively professional as an approach to, to speaking with ourselves. And I'm glad that he was oh, yeah. he's willing to do so despite he you know the, 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 the clashes that we've had in the past and... You know, it was difficult for us, obviously, to talk about you know the whole situation with uh, with, with obviously yourself, Chris, and him clashing at occasions. But you know, it, it seemed like it was just the the way to go about it, not necessarily covering that in too much detail, and, and just enough. going along with it in, in the best possible way. So. I, th- I think that's perfectly fair. You don't you don't want to piss anyone off. You do taking the time out to talk to you, but no, you say absolutely. about you know issues and all that sort of thing, and it's a load of shit, mate. I, I see these guys in the flesh. <laughs> They know they know full well who you are. They say hello. They're not yeah. they're not coming yeah. up to you in the street and starting pointing in your face like what the fuck are you talking about me on the internet? No, for? no, absolutely. They, they, it's, they it's wouldn't a, do it, that. No, but it, it's obviously you've got to take it into in, in, into perspective. I think at that point, and I, I didn't particularly want to risk you know him throwing the phone down or whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that would have made for a better podcast, personally. Uh, well, if, well, the thing is, if we'd have done that, then James would have been able to ask burning wrestling questions. <laughs> I I only asked him about WrestleMania, Chris. Don't worry. That is true. Hey, didn't want to take the right thing to do. The right thing to do. I mentioned Vela I, I, and also the sort of the drinking culture that we had there. It was I don't know. It was entertaining for Very us to look at um, as a fan base. But I I wonder, Chris, if you think that maybe that was sort of a perhaps less than professional influence they had on the dressing room, given that they're sort of two key figures there, and whether that held us back a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think it's entirely and en- en- emblematic of a, a a lower division culture where it's not seen to be as important. I mean, you, I know you could probably cite thousands of players at the top level who, who do that sort of thing, but they're probably the ones that are reliable performers. Well, Wheater and Vela have had their moments, most definitely, but is either of them playing at a, a level equivalent to where they've been in the past in their careers? Nope. Is either player playing at an equivalent level even to when they were at Wanderers? Arguably, in Vela's case, but certainly not for Wheater. So, yeah, I hope they had a great time being, you know, big man about town, getting pissed and all that kind of carry on. But ultimately, it's to the detriment of their own career, which, you know, if you look at it in the cold light of day, is, is nothing really that clever or admirable. No. No. You're talking about wanting these players back only because the characters, and we're in an era where players are all pretty inaccessible nobodies. You know, I, I don't, I don't blame people for thinking that these are attractive personalities to want around the place, but from a sporting point of view, I think they've shown where their uh, their ceiling is, and hopefully ours is far, far beyond that. 
James, you think Chris has a point there? I, I think a lot of people say that Josh never fulfilled his potential and uh, several players have said that he was one of the most talented in the squad. Do you, do you think it's his fault for not getting the best out of himself or managers for not getting the best out of him? Oh, that's... I, I think that that's a tricky call, but if I had to choose, I'd probably go towards Josh not getting the best out of himself. But mm. but I don't... But I, I, I'm honestly don't really have that much to base on other than his personality. That's the thing. When we spoke to Josh, there seemed to be... He really enjoyed playing under Neil Lennon. I think a lot of people have said that they just really enjoyed that kind of attacking style that we had in that side. And obviously, Josh was playing more of his football at right back there. But Josh's attitude to me, and what I don't know if you agree with me on this, seemed to be one of... If you play him in the right position and really get behind him, he's willing to run through walls for you. Mm. I mean, I'm not sure you, you, you sort of saw the results of that on the pitch necessarily, but it seemed right. like he, he certainly backed himself in that perspective. You know, I can't deny that. Um, you know, and he, he he certainly made a good case for himself. And, and yeah, you know, from time to time, he, he was an incredible player for us. You know, we obviously saw him coming through the ranks and we thought, yeah, you know, this guy's going to be a real talent. And I think he, he perhaps could have quite easily done had he, had he not started out at right back and left back and whatever. And I'm sure that, you know that they were particularly progressive years, and they, you know, he learnt a lot in that time. But I think had he had he been thrown in at the deep end somewhat, and and you know, taken advantage of, of the of the position that he perhaps could have had in the number ten role or the number six, even, you know, I think he perhaps would have progressed at a, a much better rate and perhaps you know made made it to the to the top to some degree. But you know, the the way that his his career somewhat stagnated at that point, and then obviously he made the move up to Scotland, and he's now at Shrewsbury. It, it perhaps just shows that it, it didn't quite work out for him at the time, and and I think like Chris would 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 quite you know possibly argue you know he, he could have possibly moved on at, a, at an earlier you know point in time as well, and and that might have benefited him more. Um, but you know obviously it's that didn't happen, and it's just a shame to see that it's perhaps not worked out how how we quite intended or how how we quite intended either. It, it might have been that his move Sorry, to Liverpool had that come come to pass might have knocked that daftness out of him you know he used to say yeah. he didn't strike me as the kind of character who'd want to be thrown in the deep end at that young age I, th- I think he enjoyed the environment that he- no sure yeah yeah I think he was obviously you know naturally quite he, he fitted in with the team very well and the camaraderie and what have you and it was, it was clear to see he enjoyed his football at Bolton but it, it was obviously just not quite you know um, pulling up pulling up roots however you know at, at that point in time it's just a shame that it, it stagnated the way it did he spoke to us at length about where he saw himself as a player and he clearly thought that from an attacking perspective he wanted to be in that number 10 role rather than in a holding role where Phil Parkinson saw him or certainly not at right back when Neil Lennon saw him. Where do you think he played his best football, James? Well, he obviously played his best football at centre attacking mid, but that's because he was at a League One level where he wasn't. That, that's that's what I mean. Do you, do you think it was just the level, or do you think it was because it suited him? It the was best? what for me. It was one hundred percent the level because even though we did play a bit more defensive, understandably, um, in the championship to, to try and maintain our position, he still had he still had ample opportunities to try and be that um, you know that attacking that attacking midfield, but but an attacking midfielder playing as regular as he did only getting one goal and I don't I can't recall any assists either it's it it's very poor reading he he probably just he probably just couldn't make the step up to be honest uh, at least in that position anyway yeah Chris do you think that it was just the level that he played at that made him look so good in the centre attacking midfield role because in the championship he got put into holding midfield and seemed to just disappear yeah he's one of these players I think if he hadn't come through the academy ranks 
he probably would have been would have sacked him off a long time ago. You know, again, without wanting, wanting to to belabor the point too much, another one who we've we've held on to for far too long, and we we allowed the situation to develop where he was just hanging around. And his fallout with Parkinson, I thought um, in the podcast said a lot more about Vela than about Parkinson. To be honest with you, really? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. I, I, again, I'm only going off what I've what I've dealt with in my own experiences with him, and perfectly capable of being a, a fantastic guy. But then the off-field stuff can sometimes catch up with him, and and the social media side of things didn't help. Uh, I just feel like that Parkinson was justified, in, in my opinion, to to leave him out. Yeah, no, uh, I don't I, think I, I, don't I think completely he agree. said what he said though. I, I think you leave a player out, you leave a player out. But to say he, Josh is only making the bench because he's an academy player, and well, we have to fill out that quota. It's not. It's not the kind of thing. If, if you say th- that to Josh, th- thing is, per, th- person, don't say it in the media. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but thing, players who would have treated that as a as a kick up the ass, and certain players would have treated that as well. Sat, no, no sod you. I'm not. I'm not going to bust my balls like I used to. In um, the wider uh, media, though. Well, maybe you thought that would work. I don't know. Uh, maybe he thought that Vela would respond positively, and in, in, and I'll show you kind of attitude, which he he obviously didn't. I don't know. Tough one. I, I, Tough I, one. I, well, this is the thing. I think Parkinson has shown over the course of his time at the club, and also you know in in the past, and now at Sunderland, that he does make those kind of brash calls when it comes to certain players, and they get black marks against their name and then he doesn't put them back into the side. It happened at Bolton with, with Karachan, with um, Josh Fairler, with Yannick Wildschut. And I, I don't know if it's almost to the detriment of the team that he was keeping players like that out of the side. Maybe not Wildschut, who it was unfortunate he just didn't live up to the to the early hype that we had. But we're certainly with, with Vela. I think there's a bloke there who's got Bolton's best interests at heart. But again, maybe, maybe I'm being too too kind. But having spoken to the guy and listened to his story, that, that seemed to be what I got from him, that he would have done a job for Bolton Wanderers and also he seems to be another one that was desperate to come back. I'm, I'm sure he'd run through a ring for us but I, I just don't think he was able to cut it myself but and, and maybe Parky saw that or maybe he thought he wasn't putting put showing the talent that obviously other people saw in him and wanted to try and get it out of him but just didn't know how to, who knows. Yeah, it, it, it was a shame. Uh, one of uh, Vela's contemporaries was another person that we had on the podcast, I think it was just before the Vela one but it seems to right to discuss him in conjunction with Wita. This one was one of our most popular podcasts, and that was with Zach Clough. Chris, you were on the podcast. I know you enjoyed it immensely. What made it resonate with people so much? Do you think uh, the human story? I suppose you know the, the 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 tone of the guy's voice when he was talking about the decisions he made and the the impact that's had on on his life and the reasons why. Just felt like it was a it was a sad a sad story of somebody. Making a making a poor decision for whatever reason that was, and then it coming back and biting them in the ass. I'm not saying for any 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 way that the guys had a bad life or anything like that. He's obviously been well paid for for sitting there and doing now at Forest. But what might have been, I, I just it's one thing that always baffles me about Wanderers fans. You know, the, you have a bit of a scout on Twitter from time to time, and anyone that comments on Zach Clough, it'll always be the same brainless eggs coming back with, "Well, well, why would we even want him back?" Well, if you don't. <laughs> realise why Zach Clough would be an asset to Bolton Wanderers in this day and age then quite frankly you're watching the wrong sport absolutely the podcast was tremendous I, re- I really really enjoyed it not only for taking part but listening back to it afterwards uh, it, it was really really interesting on, on so many levels thought you did a great job well I, I think with Zach and you're right Chris because there seems to be that dis- uh, sorry there's a proportion of fans who go towards him to want him back that's the only message they'll send to him and there's another group of fans that will say as you say <clears throat> Why would we want him? 
But I think hopefully the podcast maybe showed to people why you would want someone like Zach Clough there, because that is a man, you know, we can argue the toss of whether Vela truly cares about Bolton Wanderers, but Zach Clough, there is no doubt in my mind, having spoken to the guy that Bolton Wanderers is a club that he would love to play for. And James, you were on the call, Will, you as well. I'm sure you lads completely agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. It was just so easy going, you know, he seemed like he really wanted to talk to us almost as friends and... You know, it was great to, to have that sort of working relationship with him for, for, for the brief time that we spoke to him. But I obviously really appreciate how open he was with us and, and you know, how, how happy he was to sort of go into detail, you know, on his time at Bolton and where what his position is now, particularly at Forest, and, you know, how willing he was to sort of, you know, express his, his admiration and desire for, to, to perhaps return at some stage to the club. And, you know, as Chris said, you know, there, there's absolutely no reason why he shouldn't be coming back at this stage. I think he'd just suit suit the system perfectly and there'd be no better time for him to come back to be honest uh, in terms of a podcast guest I know Tom we, we've, we've discussed this at length uh, a bit behind the scenes but I, I was particularly nervous for that one for, for, for whatever reason uh, I, I just seemed to be a little bit starstruck in that situation I'm not sure whether it came across to the listeners I apologise <laughs> if it did um, Chris I'm not sure if you picked up on it but it, it, it was just one of those where I was I think I was just buzzing to talk to the lad at the end of the day and I'm just so glad that we got on so well. And uh, yeah, I think that was mo- one of the most enjoyable podcasts I've done for sure. For the modern generation, I think Zach Clough is the player that people have pinned up because it's so nice to see someone come from the academy and make a success of themselves. It's just such a shame how, how it ended. And I think the second spell where he, you know we, we spoke about it and it's a small moment that people don't necessarily remember. That chance that he had in the Bristol City game where he hit the bar when if they'd scored that, it would have been 2-0, game over. What a start to, for him to come back on his on his second debut and score that goal. I just think from then on, it's, it tarnished what happened. I, I don't think Parkinson necessarily wanted him in the side. He didn't rate him. And it's such a shame that when he got the chance to really show the fans what he could do at, at, at a high level again, he wasn't used in the right position. James, did you think Parkinson treated him unfairly? Uh, perhaps, but... I, but I, to be honest, I, he was kind of played in the same position as when he was played under Parker. Maybe it wasn't as free because it was at Championship level instead of League One, but he was played in the in the exact same position. And but he was probably might tight, might tighter. And considering left wings, not he's not as good out wide as he is centrally. Maybe he was just completely restricted in his chances to be able to make something happen. I mean, his only goal during that spell was <laughs> really, really scabby. So what does Humble. that? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So what does that tell you? So, I, so no, I don't, I don't think to say that he played, he enjoyed playing on the left though. Did did that surprise you? Very, very much so because it, for me, he always looked way more at home centrally. I mean, he was central when he set when he when he was uh, backheeled Vela to, for the goal. He always scored pretty much all of his goals from being in the centre. He never really did it from coming in from the left and hitting him in, or at least none that I can recall off the top of my head so that really surprised me I, I think Zach is, a, is a, would be an asset to any side because of the ability that he has but he, he seemed to to talk about the, the lack of uh, physicality that maybe hindered him I think going to Forest may have sort of built him up a little bit because when we spoke to uh, I can't remember who it was we spoke to now but they were talking about how Forest oh no it might have been Zach actually they were saying that they grow real specimens in their academy uh, at Forest really champion f- physical work so maybe now would be the perfect time for him to come back to to the club or to help another side now that he's got that physical side of the game mastered. I just hope Chris, it's not... Chris, did you, you, sorry, yeah, sorry, James. Sorry, oh. sorry, I'll make this brief. I'm just saying, 
if he does come back, all that physical gain, I hope it's not at the cost of his ability to dribble, because that's really what run the, won the fans over, his ability to just have his low centre of gravity and just seemingly beat, beat players out of nowhere, despite his lack of pace. Uh, because if if we if he's managed to retain that, and if he's and if we can somehow get him at League Two level, that is going to be something that very few other teams at that level are going to have, and it it would be a brilliant, brilliant tool to have. He's the heir to Mark Davis's throne, isn't he, Chris? Yeah, um, and I think again, the similarities don't just just end in the in the position they play. A lot of it comes down to to how someone responds to feeling loved in his second spell. It was different, and I think it showed. In his performances, um, I, I worked pretty closely with a Forest fan who, when I was speaking to him about it, I was talking to him, and even after the fact, uh, absolutely no interest in understanding or listening or, or seeing the, the the side of it that we've seen. And I can understand that from their point of view because they don't know the the, the clough that, that, that you know the way he can be. They only see the fellow that seems to be sat there on the sidelines collecting his money and, and doing nothing. I, I'd love to see him back. I think from from many different perspectives. I think the guy's shown for us over time, not only does he want to play for the club, but he can play for the club. And it just comes down to money, doesn't it, as to whether he comes back or not. I know, James, you're saying it'd be, it seems inevitable that he would come back. I mean, a lot's got to happen on both sides for that to be the case. Do you I think, think the podcast set the wheels in motion, though, don't you? I hope so. It, it I absolutely hope so. Mail, and I think, yeah. I think a lot of fans suddenly got the impression that he, he definitely didn't want to be there. I think the language that he used was very almost final about his career at Forest. So sure. I, I think the wheels may well be in motion there. I'm hoping the club so. can come to this, this, some kind of mutual decision. As he said, he's got a year left there, but, but they've got a, a surplus of players at this point, especially in... Zach's position, so we can only hope yeah, they reach right, some yeah. kind of deal. And if that happens, we're absolutely his first port of call. It just has to be financially viable. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, appropriate the majority of our budget towards that because I think it would just be so important to have. I think it would lift everyone. You know, it's hard to talk about bombs on seats given the the current situation, but as and when fans can return to the stadium, he's the kind of player that you want to come and watch. Certainly. Um, the one that we did after that was just James and I, and it was a rather interesting interview. I think you'll agree, James, with Ivan Klasnich. What were your impressions of him? Bizarre. <laughs> 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 Maybe it's because English isn't his first, his first language, but he came across as a really bizarre bloke. Not in the bad way. He was he was he was really funny, but oh, I just so but but I just couldn't figure out how to address him sometimes because. Um, with the way he answered some of the questions, and again, maybe this is just a language barrier, but the way he answered some of the questions just had me confused sometimes as to where it would lead, and I, and it's 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 hard to explain really. I I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it for what it was worth, but I also feel like it was sort of a we we did miss out on some points because I feel like. It took us off on tangents that we weren't expecting. I think that was the thing with with with, with Ivan, because as as you say, it, it, language barrier aside, I think he 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 has his own way of of going about uh, starting a conversation and you know answering questions. But Chris, you obviously listened to it. What did you make of him? Yeah, and uh, no, nothing really different to what you guys have just said. I found it really interesting. Obviously, that that. You know, German sense of humour is is unique, to say the very <laughs> least. But he's mm. always found him a really engaging character. Um, whenever you would speak into him as a you know as a one on one kind of situation, I like him, and I, and I thought the podcast was really interesting too. And the fact that he clearly gives no shits about anything was was refreshing. <laughs> I did. I really, I really, enjoy, I really enjoyed it. 
Chris, you, you've got far too much access to these players is what we're learning from this conversation. i tell you what it was. It's when I used to work in Manchester, just having a bit of a walk on my lunch break, it's amazing the amount of footballers you bump into. I could list hundreds of them. Oh, that's a podcast for another time, certainly. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but I, Ivan Klasnic, a player sort of from, from my side, when I first started getting into bowls, and I, I was blessed with having Nicholas and Elker on the team. He was the most natural finisher that I've seen since then. What do absolutely. you make of him? Yeah, an absolutely incredible player. Uh, it, it's quite obvious that he's got a particular way of, of addressing things. You know, everyone's unique in the way that they approach the, the these interviews, if you like. And I just think that even what seemed to be, or Ivan rather, I think it's how you pronounce it, is, a, is rather yeah. laid back in that respect. And, uh, you know, it, it's great that he's sort of missed a call in, in, in that respect as well. And it sort of reflects what, what sort of a personality and an attitude he has on the pitch as well. And, you know, we can, we can certainly talk the talk and, and walk the walk, if you like. <laughs> Absolutely. J- J- James, I don't know if I was missing anything here, but when I was thinking about a striker and the kind of selfish attitude that, that Alfie showed, you know, Alfie's a lovely bloke, but there's a confidence there that he's going to score goals. I didn't get that from Klasnic. It seemed that he was quite humble because when we asked him whether or not he was, you know, irritated that he wasn't getting starts uh, ahead of Daniel Sturridge, Johan Amanda, Kevin Davis, didn't seem to bother him that much. Mm, I don't. Well, maybe maybe it's because um, those other, those other player names had to do more of the more of the work. Maybe he just kept himself humble because he he knew what he was about. He he knew what it mm-hmm. was. He didn't maybe he didn't feel the need to be cocky about it. He just he just knew. I don't know. I I couldn't I couldn't tell you to be honest, but. But I, I I did appreciate his honesty in despite that. And yeah, he is a humble man, but but I can't get over... Sorry, I just cannot get over how bizarre it all was, especially when he just randomly, <laughs> out of nowhere, burst into that, burst into that story about Paul, Paul Robinson. We didn't even ask him. We genuinely didn't even ask him. We just said, what was the dressing room like? And he said, Paul Robinson shit on the floor. And that was it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, that, that as, you, as you say, Chris, that, that's what the Germans pass for humour. You know what? What? what hopefully, mm-hmm. the rest of us have. Um, do you, Do you think that, from Ivan's perspective, trying to get this back onto fo- focusing on him, he when he finally started to get proper starts in the team, it was 2011-12. Uh, obviously, that we went down. Do you think having him in the team as a non-working striker but a natural finisher was the, to the detriment of the team overall? Yeah, players like that are, are tough ones to integrate, aren't they? Because of the what they bring and and then what they they lack as, as a result. For me, I think he, he very much warranted his place because you, you can have a, you can have ten workhorses in the team or nine workhorses in the team, and that one maverick will be the one that wins you the game. So I, I would always be pro the inclusion of a player like that. We've seen variations, haven't we, over the, the years with Eagles and Amiobi? Yeah, fine. You're talking about work rate and what have you. Maybe not in the the top five, seven, nine, or, or whatever, but they're the players that pop up in the 89th minute and, and score you a goal, like Klasnik against Stoke, uh, Stoke or Eagles against Blackburn, for example. It's always a place in the team for uh, a lazy bastard, and I'm not just talking about my own career. <laughs> <laughs> well, as Ivan said, it's not how you work, it's how smart you work. Exactly. You can run all the times you want, but run smart is it's by far the best way to be. Yeah. Will, do you have a favourite Klasnik memory? <sighs> There's so many, isn't there? It just seems to all, all sort of thing into one in, in terms of the way that he, he he scored his goals. You know, on the swivel, I think particularly the one against Stoke that he scored in that five nil sticks out. 
Um, I think there's another against uh, one against KPR as well, but he, he's that's my favourite by Jamal, and he couldn't remember it. Yeah. It was so annoying; he couldn't remember the bloody thing. <laughs> oh yeah, just an absolute clinical finisher on his day, and and, and just too many to count as far as I'm concerned. He just the most reliable man from about six yards. If if it if you know the ball pops up in the in, in the middle of the box or in a goal mouse scramble, you yeah. can rely on him to poke it home. Uh, if I might address that stock game briefly, I'm really anno- I'm really annoyed that this gets underrated as a moment, but in that first minute, when obviously the foul from Sorensen, whatever, the fact that he just instantly thinks to rob the ball from Sorensen's hands and just knock it over to Davis, who's completely free space to <laughs> score the goal. That, to me, oh, just epitomises Klasnich. Yeah, that epitomises Klasnich's attitude for me. He's just oh, been, God, yeah. just thinking, how the hell are we going to get a goal? Uh, that yeah. That's how, and he'll do, do whatever, and I love that. Yeah, I'm going to retract my statement about him being humble because I've just remembered as to why he couldn't remember that QPR moment. I think the exact quote was, when you score as many goals as me, they all come <laughs> <into> one. <laughs> so uh, m- moving on, I think possibly the biggest name that we managed to get on the podcast in the aftermath of the Klasnich one, and that was Rob Holding. Um, it was a fantastic interview. and I remember speaking to Mark Isles um, about it in the beforehand, and he was saying that you're going to absolutely love talking to Rob because he's such an engaging young man and so generous with his time. And we certainly got that impression of him. How far do you think he can go, Chris? With you know, He seems to have got his head screwed on completely, right? Oh, yeah. I think he's at his ceiling. He needs to come back if he wants to fulfil any kind of potential <laughs> We did put it to him. We did put it to him. Yeah, um, yeah. Another another great show, guys. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, uh, what what's not surprising to me is the influence all these humble top guys say about people like David Lee and Tony Kelly in, in the yes, lives. Absolutely, um, two outstanding human beings and two outstanding coaches who I hope have got a massive future to play at the club. Um, mm-hmm. Loved it. I just think Holding's got everything he want, everything he wants to do, he, he can achieve. I'd like to see him be first choice, whether that's Arsenal or somewhere else, for a bit. But when you look at some of the shit that plays for England at the moment, you got to think oh, he's going to be in, he's going to be in the conversation whether he moves or whether he doesn't move because what he's shown over the last four years and that blew my mind by the way that he's been gone for four years. Um, <laughs> We're getting old. He, he, well, yeah, that's it. The world's ending one day at a time. But what 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 he has shown in that time, how adaptable he is. I mean, signing for an absolute basket case of a club like Arsenal and thriving is only a further tribute to the character of the guy. And again, bring it back to, to the people who played a role in his upbringing. Yeah, they deserve all the credit in the world, as he said himself. Oh, I think speaking to Clough and Holding and Vela as well, the, the grounding that Tony Kelly and David Lee have given these young players is, I think we're seeing the fruits of it now with the likes of Politic and Darcy coming through. I mean, th- those young whites that we had in the Coventry game, they would ne- no gr- normal group of kids would be able to have stood up to that task and be able to come away with the point that they did unless they had been given you know the foundations from great youth coaching. So I think you know a shout out needs to be given to those guys there because they they've done a fabulous job. And I think Rob, as you say, Agreed. is testament to that because to be able to come off one season um, at Bolton, a team that's been relegated, and to get a move to Arsenal, that was a shock for me. James, did it shock you when that happened? Uh. I, I probably wouldn't have expected Arsenal, but I, I wouldn't have been surprised that he got a Premier League move. He, I, even even though the team overall had a crap season, you could tell how good of a player he was. If you managed to spike in that shower of shite, then you know you have <laughs> something about you. And and even the fact that he's prospering now at Arsenal, winning an FA Cup, getting good runs in the team before he inevitably gets injured, and then they decide to play that bum Mustafi again. Uh, oh, God, and, yeah. and, 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 <laughs> And I hope that when football returns, that 
Arteta gives him a proper chance. Whether, and if not, I hope he gets a good loan move to to uh, to a team that will be challenging up there. Like I don't know, I don't know, maybe a Everton or something like that. Just somewhere if where he, he ends can get up at Leicester, I'll kill him. I'll, I'll <laughs> That's why I avoided saying Leicester. I knew you were going to exactly. Be like... Yeah, because I can see it. I can genuinely see it happening. I'm surprised. That I hope he goes to Leicester just there. to spark out Johnny Evans. That'd be mint. <laughs> oh, that'd be brilliant. Um, yeah, I was about to say Johnny Evans has been living on my doorstep the last two years and I'm still disappointed that I've not been able to find the bugger but anyway um, I, I, I think it was another one that was very interesting because he spoke so highly of Neil Lennon about giving him his chance Do you, Will having listened to the podcast or sorry you're on the podcast with uh, with Clough and Holding and, and Vela yeah. they seem to have loved Neil Lennon do you think that we maybe give him a bit of a hard time because of how it ended at the club or do you think he deserves a bit more credit I think quite possibly, yeah. That only they could tell you that they obviously saw a lot more of him behind the scenes than we did, and they, they, I think the youth obviously meant a lot to him, and they seemed to, he seemed to have taken them all under under his wing. And I think that's perhaps why they all appreciate him more so than than any of the other managers, to be honest. And even the senior players don't speak so highly of any of the others. Harrison Lennon, really, bar no. bar maybe Phil Parkinson, which for obvious reasons, um, I mean, obviously. You know, both Cluffy and and and, uh, and Lafondre would 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 arguably have, have a reason to to not speak quite as highly of Parky, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think Lennon overall perhaps is the one who's who's most highly spoken of. Um, I, can, I can sort of understand why you know the the legacy that he sort of brought, and we were all expecting him to sort of you know bring to the club, and it just never really materialised. It was uh, it, it was a shame how things didn't work out, but. For sure, I think I think Lennon just seemed to to be a, a superb man man management uh, style style of uh, style of coach, and it's just a shame that it didn't come to a, to fruition. And he wasn't managed to he didn't manage to blood those players quite to the extent that he that he wanted to. I've always no. I've always said that Neil Lennon was was a was great manager at the completely wrong time because obviously we saw some of the football he played and we've seen it with some of the youth players that he gave a chance to the Cloughs, Vellas, etc. That you really did get some decent stuff out of them, at, at footballing wise. It's just a shame that the bloke was was batshit mental, and he came in mm. into a situation that was coincidentally batshit mental. So it was just, yeah, it, it was it was all gonna implode in on itself without some kind of stability, and it's it is a shame how it ended up. But I can totally understand why Lennon's looked back with some with some you know some ire now because it because. He, he should never have ever been brought in, considering what no. we were going through. Well, I always look back at it and think we had the option of Neil Lennon and Chris Hewton, and hindsight is a wonderful thing. I think I would have picked Chris Hewton at the time anyway, you know, but it was an exciting appointment, wasn't it? And Chris, you've spoken about this a lot of times. When we got yeah. Neil Lennon in, that seemed like a real coup for the club at the time. It wasn't that many years prior or that much time beforehand that he'd been in Barcelona in the Champions League. So, you know, granted in hindsight, Chris Hewton would have been tremendous, but. Nah, I don't. You know, I don't think anyone that at the time who would have honestly said they would have had one or one over the other would have. Many people would have chosen Hutton and be being honest with themselves. I think that Lennon was maybe the the right manager at the wrong time for the club. Had we been more stable, had we had a bit of money to spend, I, I don't think we'd have been uh, in anywhere near the position that we ended up in. Uh, and so I, I sympathise with him on that front. A lot of the mistakes he made were daft ones, mistakes of his own making. He signed some decent players. He fell out with Gary Medine. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of reasons to like the guy. Um, I just wonder, had, had things been a bit more stable, had things been a bit more in his favour, things would have worked out better for him. And, uh, and I'm not surprised to see him still doing fairly well up in Scotland, although in that 
little one-off race, it's probably not too difficult. As well, so I, I could manage Celtic, Chris, and get them to the title. I'm pretty sure, but you know, I'm sure too. we don't. Yeah, oh, thank you, mate. I appreciate that. Um, the final thing I'd like to say on Rob Holding, and we've spoken obviously about his character. It does amaze me that he's been able to go into a melting pot and remain so uh, uh, just a lot of. It's hard vitriol. Um, it's so difficult to be able to go out. I would imagine with Arsenal fan TV being what it is, and not get abuse as an Arsenal player even from non-Arsenal fans. Just it amazes me that he's been able to make that adjustment so well. Yeah, but and... you, you notice with the with the people on Arsenal fan TV, they mainly target either their own academy kids or they target the ones that came in on big money. Rob Holding fortunately didn't have either of those tags, so sometimes mm. even if he has a bad performance, he doesn't really get it that often. Not that he gets much chance to be crap anyway but well that's the thing the boy the boy deserves more of a shot than he has because i think if he hadn't got that that cruciate injury when we chris has spoken about the lack of quality at england center hearts he'd have been a shoo-in for that team you would have thought um, I'm, i mean yeah you even spoke about how he had um i can't remember his name but gareth southgate's uh, assistant manager watching him from that game oh and... steve holland yeah that's it it's it's just just cruel twist of fate unfortunately yeah, well, I think, as you say, when football returns and he's clearly been working his balls off, according as we heard from him, uh, to try and get himself back into the side before, sorry, during the, the lockdown period, I can only hope that Mikel Arteta sees sense and gets him in. The next podcast that we did was, I would say, based on fan reaction, our own personal opinion, the best one that we've done. And that was with Carl Henry. James, I know it really, really resonated with you. Talk us through your feelings towards that podcast. Uh I I love I love I probably love some of the other players that've interviewed more than Carl Henry, but that is my favourite podcast by an absolute country mile. He, he epitomises the 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 bastard mentality that we love from him, because I would never have seen any other player dig dig out how how defeatist their mentality was in that season. Like I'm sure it was a good camaraderie amongst the lads, but. For him to so openly admit that the 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 environment he came into was just one of a was one of a pure losers, and for him mm-hmm. to to be so honest about giving a kick up the arse, and then uh, we didn't even ask him. We didn't even ask him, and it came out. You can tell it was a story that he was desperate to tell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He he was just so open and honest about, it. and spe- and the amount of detail he went to, whether it came to tactical decisions, whether it came to si- the psychological impact of the game, and and everything else, he was so brilliant and and cl- and clear about everything. And oh, I can't rave enough about how much <laughs> I admire I admire the block. I, I may not agree with him on everything that he said on, he says on Twitter, but as a footballing man, I think he's absolutely brilliant. Mm. Chris, as a listener, what did you make of his thoughts on that dressing room? Yeah, I think James has summed it up pretty well. Um, never liked him on the pitch ever. You know, his time at Bolton was was, was fantastic. He was exactly what we needed at the time. But it, no one's ever going to turn around and say that Carl Henry is the favourite player. But again, you know, as a as a human being. Wonderful. Thought he was really, really engaging, really, really interesting. And and again, you guys got out some really interesting stuff out of him. Uh, didn't I don't even know what he gets. Up... No, no, no. There you are. And and the fact that it, it just makes me laugh. You know, all the time we you write for websites like this and you, you give your honest opinion, which doesn't really mean anything in the grand scale of things. And you call players losers. You call players failures. Blah blah blah. And then oh, how dare you say that? Oh shit, fan, all that kind of thing. And then you get someone that was in the middle of all that. Well, yeah, they were a bunch of losers. They were a bunch of char- <laughs> characterless, characterless shirkers without a single ounce of, of desire to win about them. And you just think, yeah, 
you know, we're not as daft as we as we uh, we get told we are from time to time, no. are we? But it's it, it, I thought it was a really interesting, uh, let's say, really interesting podcast, and and it certainly changed around my opinion of him as a as a person as well. Didn't really know a great deal about his character, but what you know, fair, you know, pretty well spoken chap. Knows what he's talking about. Um, his praise of Gary Medina side. Thought he, he I was going really, really to quiz you on that, Chris. Did that, wow. did that taint it for you? I mean, come on, come on. He must have been. He was taking the piss, weren't he? He was taking the piss. <laughs> you know, the other Nobody thing in the right mind thinks me. that Gary Medina's worth anything else other than uh, than a kick up the arse from time to time. Um, yeah, I, I, Neil Warnock. Clearly, they're, from, they're both uh, seeing the same player that you're not, Chris. Um, but the, the other revelation that I thought was interesting was that he, he said, um, when he was going through the dressing room and talking about people with the right attitude, he said Craig Noon was a winner. Did that shock you, Will? Bull crap. It, 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 it did, it did indeed. Um, yeah, no, I mean, he never seemed to lack desire on the pitch, to be fair, but he just seemed to be a bit of a team player, to be honest, more than anything. He, he wasn't an, outs, an outstanding player in that respect. You know, he wasn't running through brick walls particularly, or at least or at least how it looked from the, from the stands. But... You know, I I don't doubt that Craig put a lot of effort in, and obviously it was an emotional time when he when he scored that goal and celebrated with the with Stephen Darby. You know, I've got no qualms about that whatsoever. It was a it was a fantastic was a time. But... Yeah, but I think that's the only highlight that I can pick out. Oh no, Barnsley. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, Barnsley. Maybe the goal at Barnsley for which uh, which you know caused limbs for all of about two minutes until. Did we win that game against Barnsley? No, until... we didn't. That's what's oh, right, there. Yeah, then. So there's. Sum up Craig Noon's contribution to Wanderers. He did something <laughs> in a game that we got fuck all in. All right, <laughs> no, we drew. We drew. But, but, uh, oh, wow. Every point yeah. counts, mate. <laughs> no, he was. I think Carl, generally speaking, was a fantastic guest. I think he was the most insightful by far, and it was clear that he wanted to just talk, talk, and and, and talk again. Uh, you know, it, by no means were we going to stop him from doing that. You know, I was quite happy. For that was a funny moment, though, wasn't it? Though when when he said, um, oh, "I'm not going into too much detail here, am I?" No, Carl, no, you, everyone, keep going, just, mate. That's please, fine. please, yeah. No, he, he was a fantastic guest, Carl. Um, you know, got a lot of time for the man, but you know, both on and off the field, and you know, I think he was a fantastic leader at times, and I think he he half won that the armband instead of Prattley. Yes, no, I, I, I was going to come on to that because you asked him that question and there was a bit of indignance there. He was saying, oh, no, I wasn't trying to take the armband off Pratt. He, he, he seemed he as though... Well, this yeah. is the thing. I was going to ask you if it came across as genuine or not. I, 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 he's obviously trying to be nice, isn't he? Because they, they both work well as a partnership, but I think he wanted to be the one who had the responsibility to kick him up the arse rather than Prattley. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think Carl obviously saw and knew what needed to change him from the minute he walked through the door, to be honest. And I think he wished he'd... He had a bit more authority in that respect to, to deal with it. Yeah. Um, whether whether or not it would have been listened to, however, is is a different uh, is a different story because I don't think you know it would have made a difference who who was you know captain at that point. I don't think anyone was being listened to of, from the players' camp to be honest. Where, when things were going on off the pitch, so yeah, um, yeah, I... yeah no, nevertheless, he, he was a fantastic guest. As I say, um, absolute pleasure. I think by far the the best. Um, if you're looking to you know actually talk football with someone. He he's by far the best for it. I think. Yeah, he was clearly desperate to to have come back after that season. I'm not necessarily sure whether that would have been a good thing or not, given that his age and I remember no, the Forest game. He just looked absolutely shattered. Oh, he and, and he and he tailed off a little bit before then anyway. But you know, it, like I say, I think the podcast and the overall effect that he had on that team to sort of pull us back from the brink in that in the first half of the season. And and you can't really blame them for wanting to carry on, can you? I suppose. No, God no, God no. It's, um, but, yeah. Wasn't the only one whose whose promises were broken too, and I think the treatment of all the players at the end of that season, Marais, Wilbraham, as well. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not necessarily sure I kept Wilbraham, but 
you know, for these people did a job and they deserve to be treated with a bit more respect. But that's obviously not how the Andersons roll, as it were. Um, James, final one on Carl Henry for you. You mentioned it to him and he it didn't resonate with him clearly. But do you think he could be a good manager? I'm, I mean, I'm glad. I'm really glad I asked him that question, considering that he said mm. afterwards that. That, that the spell at Bolton convinced him to change his mind to yeah. to go into football, and I just thought, bloody hell, you weren't got. You, I, I understand it. Yeah, I understand he has a successful business and whatnot. I can appreciate that if he'd want to focus into that, that was fine. But I just thought that would have been such a waste, and I'm so glad that the club changed his mind because you can tell by the way he was going into detail, the way he didn't hold back. I think he would be a tremendous manager. I just thought, or or even a coach, just to maybe a youth coach try and inspire young kids to try and keep the mentality to, you know, not be afraid, speak your mind, do whatever you have to, to win, etc., etc. And I'd hire, I'd hire him on the, I'd hire him on the spot personally. Yeah. I think articulate and informed footballers are in short supply and have been for a long time and certainly nowadays. So he's a, he's a valued commodity. I'd certainly agree with that. Uh, The following podcast was another person who's, place was taken in that side in 2017-18 by Carl Henry and that was Jem Karachan. Chris, I know, I remember when we spoke about uh, having Jem on beforehand that it wasn't one that necessarily enthused you particularly. Did you enjoy listening to that one? Did, yeah. I certainly did enjoy it. I thought, again, more on the you know the human side of it. I was interested to hear the stories of uh, of what happened to him um, and to his experiences with, with Parkinson and especially in, in connection to him at the latter end, uh, as he was ostracised from the team, as Parky was wont to do on occasion. Uh, again, to kind of extrapolate the question a bit, was I really that bothered about him at the time? Not really, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, someone else that's not really left and done much. Um, I know you said you comment a few minutes ago about the Andersons letting these players go. Not many of them again have gone on to do anything particularly better than what they had, we had at the time or how they were doing at the time. And I class Karachan as one in there. What I did like, though, was his, his desire to return last season or this season, mm. whatever, whichever one it was, I can't remember now. Um, that uh, that that would undoubtedly have strengthened the team, especially given how, how, how poor our midfield has been over the last 12 months. I, I wouldn't want to cut my nose off to spite my face and say I wouldn't want him back. No, I, I think Jem clearly showed a, a desire to want to play at Bolton. He clearly thought he'd found a dressing room that suited him and a, a, an environment that suited him. So... He seemed just really shocked at how Parkinson treated him. James, do you think less of Parkinson as a result? Uh, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, it's hard to say because, because if you acknowledge Chris's point that he hasn't really done much or or been hired elsewhere since then, it might have been the right call. Maybe the way he went about it probably wasn't always right, but in the end, it might have just been the correct call. Uh, me, me personally, I would have. I, I'd also prefer Jem in our midfield. I'd take anyone over Luke Murphy, to be honest. But uh... <laughs> Christ, I'd take Bridco over Luke Murphy. I forgot we had Luke Murphy. It's been that long, flipping it. <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, it, it was mainly a human story as well as just um, addressing the moments with Peterborough and and um, and the Forest game, even though it was coming to an end then. I know. I felt so sorry for him. I genuinely did because I I do remember some really positive performances from Jem Karachan. And Chris is right. We've had such absolute dross in our midfield for the last three four years. It, it is odd that a player who does have undeniable pedigree 
was just tossed by the wayside uh, and due to personal circumstances originally. And then for Parkinson, in my opinion, to just sort of kick him out and decide to not bother with him again, when the reason why he was out of the team was a completely understandable human reason. I, I have to admit it, it did knock some of my uh, my respect for, for, for Phil in in that moment, I have to say. Will you... I like you, yeah, sorry. Go sorry, on. mate. If I, just let me just interject, then we'll obviously you can shift on. Apparently, very interesting how he, he's how picky he's been as well with his club since. Um, again, my mindset would have been if I'd have put myself in his shoes, would have been you'd be desperate to go back to work and earn earn some money, not knowing what his particular situation is. I found it really interesting that he's obviously had offers and chosen to turn them down because I can't imagine those offers would have been for peanuts. You know, this is a fellow with a reasonable pedigree who's mm-hmm. played at a good level. You know, who knows? Maybe maybe he's, he's well off enough that he can pick and choose. But that, I found I that really, inter- really sure, interesting Chris, aspect of it. For us. He's waiting for us to pick up the phone, I would say. He li- still lives in the area, told very highly about a club that he wasn't at for a particularly long period of time. I, I think he's waiting for someone at the club to pick up the phone. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Could be right. Will, Will, how did you read the podcast as a listener? Sorry, which one was that? The Jim Carachan one. Oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, in all honesty, I haven't listened to it. <laughs> we move on then there, James that's your job that's the only one that I haven't done but, uh, no, it's yeah. fair. Okay, se- se- separate question then we've spoken about um, how Parkinson treated him do you think that he was in the wrong there to do so uh, yeah no definitely I, I think Parkinson w- w- was somewhat harsh in his treatment towards these players towards the end of his uh, his time and their times at the club obviously that that, uh, that that turning point, sort of, particularly after the Forest game and what have you, when uh, when a lot of them were promised new contracts and weren't given them, I think that sort of when they lost a lot of trust in him. Uh, you know, particularly Alfie, I think was the first one out the door after that, if mistaken. It could have been a few more before that, but um, yeah, I think with with Jem as well, he was obviously sold a bit of a dream, and and he obviously was was only with us for a very short stint of time, and I knew that there was potential for him to come back again. I think he, he was spotted in training at one point. Um, yeah, he pro- said that he was there lost. alongside the likes of Billy Clark, Adam Thompson, all of those players who were just sort of left in limbo while the takeover was protracted. Yeah, it was last summer, wasn't it? I, th- I thought mm-hmm. it was, but I-, I know he was obviously on the lookout for a club, and it would have been would have been nice to have him. You know, I'd have taken him back, but obviously it, it, things didn't work out quite as planned it, in any respect for that for that matter. And you know, I think Jem probably wasn't on the highest uh, you know list of priorities at that point, but. But Will um, Buckley yeah, was back if you wanted to. <laughs> exactly, that is another one that I don't get. Well, why on earth are you keeping characters around like Will Buckley when you've got someone like Karachan who may not be 100% fit, but clearly has the club in his heart and clearly has a desire to do well? Buckley's a mercenary at this stage. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's it, they're all just sold a bit of a dream, I think. And whilst I don't necessarily agree with you on on the Will Buckley situation, the, the less I say <laughs> on that, the better. Um, no, well, no, no, honestly, honestly, I'm, I'm happy for you, to, for you to come back on me on that because I was um, in relatively sort of, I don't know what the word is, favourable towards Will Buckley before this this season. But I just yeah. the lad, the lad, the lad is been absolutely woeful when you look back at what he's done at the club. Yeah, you know, absolutely. or something like seventy appearances and four goals, and all four of them he didn't mean. And now he's cropped. I just, <laughs> I just feel like he, he 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 didn't perform from the minute he came through the door. He did nothing that whole first season. And then since then, he sort of had a bit of an arrogance towards him and he felt sort of entitled to be part of that team. And every time I did, every time he was, I just felt like we weren't going to get anywhere. And he was the last of my choices, you know, going forward particularly. I just mm. felt like he wasn't productive whatsoever in that side. 
like I said, the goals that he scored, he didn't mean. And when he scored them, he was arrogant about it. You know, the partic- the celebration particularly, you know, got me riled up so much to the point where I still remember it to this day and I, I, I really don't like it. Um, obviously, it's an absolutely awful situation. The fact that, you know, first game back, he's, he's broken his leg and hasn't played a game since. That's absolutely awful. Obviously, I don't wish that on anyone. But I think it's just, you know, in a nutshell, his time at Bolton, it's a, you know, it's not, it's not it's not going to work out you know it, that it's not meant to be and i think mm-hmm. it's perhaps something that needs to be let go now because it, it it never has done since since he arrived to be honest well, if, we, if we offer him another contract then in god's sake the you know, club's know. really has gone to the dogs i think you speak about arrogance and i might get some some flack for using this as a transition to the next podcast which was with my favorite player of all time paul robinson um <laughs> i think that's just self-confidence tom no, but there was a bit of arrogance there, wasn't there, James, when we were on that call, when he was talking about you know, him thinking that he deserved the contract after that relegation Yeah, I was about season. to say, considering that we were on a podcast and even though he's a nice block, neither of us rated him as a footballer. This is the thing, no, and I will say, and I, I did really enjoy that conversation with Paul and I thought it was one of our better podcasts, but there is nothing that he could possibly say that would change my mind that thought he was garbage, genuinely. Yeah, I was so glad when we dropped him and Marcos Alonso was playing regularly in the championship season. I I'm not gonna yeah. lie, but but like you say, the Paul Robinson podcast was brilliant. Um, another one who was um, especially open, even if even if we didn't always agree with his with his opinion on things, but the, mm. but the the way he you know spoke openly about Gary Megson, despite um, some Bolton fans' opinions of him and how it all ended, as well as um, how he saw some of the sides, how he saw some of his fellow teammates, especially Petrov. Which I was so happy to hear about. <laughs> yeah, that, that really pissed me off. <laughs> made, me, made me dislike him even more. I love Mark Um uh, but Chris, you listened to the podcast. I presume it didn't change any of your opinions on Paul Robinson hearing from him, even though he did come across as a good bloke with a lot of an interesting story to tell. Nope. No. <laughs> Not at all. Words. I didn't think so. I think I he think is, so, is a, a, a really interesting podcast, a really interesting bloke, and I admire his mentality. But yeah, he was shit for us. <laughs> no, uh, no, no disagreements there. Um, James Martin Petrov, what, what are you talking about? What an absolute yes, Chris. Super, superstar <laughs> yes, Chris. of a player that guy is. He had ability, but unbelievable had... moments of world class ability. Bull and crap, they were not world class. Absolutely, sacked... oh, no, 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 no. Capable of world class moments. I, I don't mean to overstate him, despite my my fondness for the guy. Again, this this. Mad obsession Wanderers fans have got. Oh, he, he didn't work hard enough. Who gives a shit? That's what players like Holden and Mwamba are there for. Yeah, but the problem Jesus is he didn't. Christ. Yeah, but the problem is he he didn't work in a side that had Paul Robinson on the left hand side, a crap defender, and his unwillingness to work cost us even more goals. And the fact that, that and up. and 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 also the fact that any time he scored a goal, it was a it was a bloody penalty. He could barely score for himself. He didn't set up as many as you <clears> think. <throat> Uh, hum, if I may interject, Go on. the Spurs goal, did you not see that on Twitter yesterday? That was all SKD though, wasn't it? Eh, I'll be I, would, I would have scored that Come if I ran on through, and I am would shit. Not, I, I would say that, that. Those, those criticisms are all fair enough, but also they are not Martin Petrov's fault. That's the fault of the manager no, for the, choosing the, such an not... absolute stump at left back. <laughs> I, th- I think that goal was largely down to the involvement. Davis, you know, it, it was absolutely on a plate, and although he, he still had a little, oh, it, on a plate. Been... that was on a plate. That was on a plate. You know, he might as well have said it was. It was. 
it was all down to the bloody kit man for putting goalkeeper's boots on the right feet so he could knock the ball long for Davies to flick on and Petrov to score a one-on-one one with the utmost composure. You know that's not the same thing. Don't even oh, try it. <laughs> See, the thing is, that Robinson, no, I, the good point that Robinson made was the fact that I completely concur. It must have been difficult for him being a crap defender and having Petrov in front of him not doing any work and why he would prefer to have played with Matthew Taylor. I do get that. A completely. better player than Petrov, it was interesting by the to hear way. Him say that. Martin, oh, Matthew Flipping Taylor. Don't you dare say that, James. Give Come. over. This has descended into something I didn't want it to do. <laughs> <laughs> This is the debate podcast we were all missing. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, we had we had this debate. If, if we'll we'll serves, save this for another pad. We'll save this for another pad. But let's go back to to Robinson. <laughs> well, no, but I think no. I think the point needs making that we're fortunate that the debate podcast didn't go out because of what we said about Paul Robinson. But either way, um, I I think the key point that Paul Robinson brought up was nothing to do with his partners in the team or his own contrast situation. It was the sheer animosity that he has towards Owen Coyle. I mean, that just came through so, so strongly, didn't you think, James? I mean, I mean, you can tell Robinson's a fairly serious bloke for the most part, which not, absolutely nothing wrong with that. That that, mm. that that's his thing, but it it would gen it would it's understandable that it would clash with a more free spirit like Owen Coyle, and I I can totally understand how that relationship imploded, and it was probably for the best that he didn't sign on so good on Owen Kyle for getting him out the door but still oh yeah no I, I think Kyle made the right call on that front but I think Robinson did level a completely fair accusation at him whereby we there's no way in hell we should have been relegated in 2011-12 I think laying that at Kyle's door is probably a fair thing to say wouldn't you agree Will? yeah no absolutely it, it, it's Paul Robinson was a difficult one because I know that neither of you two particularly rated him and I knew that he rated himself if that makes sense and mm-hmm. I know it was going to be a difficult one for us to sort of sit there and go, "Yep, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, you're entitled to say that." But I, I, I know you two didn't agree with a lot of what he was saying. We bit our tongues so hard. Well, but, but my, yeah. my, my, my position in that podcast was to sort of try and keep the peace and just sort of let him have his say because I, I, I know you two are extremely professional in doing so, and you're more than capable of handling a situation like that, even if it's playing that you don't like and. You know, I, I just wanted to sit there and go, yeah, you go, go on, like, say your piece and whatever. I, I just didn't want things to get too heated, if possible. You no, know, I, well, I, I don't think there was ever the a danger of that because he, he was a quite an affable bloke and he's the kind of bloke that you could easily go down a pub with and just talk football and I think he's yeah, very, very absolutely. insightful and interesting. But I, I, to, to, I, I, He had a very inflated self, opinion of himself, which was quite obvious on did, the podcast. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I was quite happy for him for him to, to speak for himself. You know, yeah, everyone's entitled to it at the end of the day and I just think that, you know, it was great for him to tell the stories that he did, and whilst we don't necessarily agree with it, with his ability, or, or yourselves don't anyway, it's mm. um, it, 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 it's it's everyone's got to have a different perspective on things, and I think it's interesting to see that you know not everyone's quite in the in the same mindset as to you know what they're capable of themselves, mm-hmm. and and you know that from a team perspective, you know how they thought that that team could have performed, you know, and his his perspective on that I think differed from some of the other lads in that, you know, Carl Henry obviously said that that team. Well, I know it was a different time, you know, when when he was there, but it seemed to think that well, Carl Emery thought that the team was full of losers, whereas he thought they were full of winners at that point. And yeah, I think that just spoke volumes, to be honest with you, um, as to you know how easily people are swayed in in terms of their opinions. I think some people are leaders in a dressing room. I'm not sure Robinson's one of those. I, I think in the, no. in that in that side, you've got, you've got SKD. Yeah, exactly. He he he's the kind of person who would be. Well, not not a sheep. That's a very unfair thing to say, but I think you'd have SKD who'd be the leader, and then Paul Robinson would be 
person to try and g people up if they if they're feeling down. But you know, yeah, but, he's way, not the kind of bloke with his role there. And you know, I'm I'm quite happy for him to to, to sort of say what he did and and for him to sort of have that role. I'm I'm sure he did have that role disputing that he did you know help people along and whatever and, and try to be a, a voice in that dressing room but you know how effective that was was a different story uh, bit, i think bit, it's bit, useful bit. to hear from people who the fans don't necessarily like like burn the yeah, aces have done with their yeah. matt mills mm-hmm. podcast i think it's useful to hear a second perspective absolutely yeah i think that's that was the point i was making <laughs> <laughs> you know what just just a, a final point on coil i guess is, is it's interesting i find though the ones that got on with him are maybe the ones that are akin to him in, in you know, Stu Holden in, in the way that they approach the game. It's an, it's an attacking, adventurous, more joyful type of football. The players that didn't get on with him are your Luddites, your donkeys, your dinosaurs stuck in the mud who want to be told where to stand at corners and free kicks because they've maybe not got the, the sense or the natural ability to do it for themselves. Um, I, I'll always make, always look back on Coyle's reign with, with more fondness than, than sadness and to hear people talk about what goes on behind the scenes isn't surprising in any way whatsoever um, but I do find it curious that it's the same kind of player that always that, that dislikes him the most they're all the ones that, uh, that that want that sort of structure and it makes me wonder why that is is it because they haven't got the sense to think for themselves yeah you talk about um, fondness and people being remembered that way Chris I think our final podcast guest is the one that you enjoyed the most Mark Fish talk, talk us through your thoughts on that one Mm, a, a cracking one, and not just not just because I was on it, but a player that always held a very fond place in my in my heart, my wondrous supporting fandom over the years is somebody that I, I really enjoyed playing for us. It was so exotic, something that we'd never really had at the time. You know, this yeah. was a real sort of meat and potatoes wondrous team that previous season with the odd little flourish of of, of a foreign play here there, but that was probably someone from Scandinavia, not someone from South Africa. And mm-hmm. so to have signed somebody from a league that I was so familiar with, that I loved so much, from a team that I was so familiar with, and somebody that I'd even heard of, not to mention us spending two and a half million quid on somebody. Outstanding. Um, and I was just so happy to to talk to the fella and to see what an absolute champ he was. Um, really, really interesting bloke. He's had such a, a fascinating life. I find anything and anyone that's come from that kind of background in, in a country such as South Africa and everything they've had to go through, just have the absolute utmost respect for them and, and to, to leave the country and make a success of themselves, uh, as he did. Really, really inspirational story. But another one that left us, and that was it. Didn't didn't go on to anything greater. Didn't go on to anything uh, more than what he had when he was at the club. But I'll always look back on his time at Wanderers fondly. It's just a shame that it wasn't in the Premier League more often than he actually got to play. Yeah, talking to Fish... A player, obviously, I'm not massively familiar with from watching him, but you know, I'm a Bolton fan. I grew up with with my dad talking about how brilliant Mark Fish was, and you just hear it. It's one of those kind of cult heroes, isn't he? The ultimate cult hero, almost. absolutely. Sort of similar similar level to Ivan Campo in that respect. But just talking to him, there's a real brain there. A man who really thinks about the game, a man who really thinks about things in general, and that's why it's such a fascinating thing to talk about. Agreed. But the one one thing that we didn't touch on, and it was down to him really was the Ipswich game, the Barry, the Barry Knight fiasco. And it was interesting, isn't it, how that memory seemed to be just as painful for him as it was for us, Chris? 100%. It's, it's one of those ones where I don't care how many Ipswich fans come on the internet and ask us to re-referee the game. You're not going to change my mind on that, that there was something something uh, insidious going on behind the scenes. Well dodgy, that, and I will never, ever be convinced otherwise. Um, I, I love it. I love it when that sort of thing happens and, and a player that I'm, I'm fond of thinks along the same lines as I do. Um, 
you know, his perspective on it being completely different than mine at the time. I was, you know, I was, God, what even, what year was it? I can't even flipping remember, but I was sort of 2000, maybe 2000. Yeah. So I'd have been 17 at the time. So I didn't go to the game, but I'd have been at at home listening on the radio, you know, before college the next day in the midweek, the midweek game. Infuriating, absolutely infuriating. And I love, I love the, the fact that, uh, it, it sticks in the memory of these players as well, although it's for the same wrong reasons as it does for us. Well, like I say, you can't blame someone who, as you say, signed for a Premier League team, was playing in a side that had the quality of a Premier League team. To have it ripped away from them in that manner, it's bound to be a painful memory. Definitely. Um, it would be remiss of us to not mention the Italian football and Lazio, which I think was probably the thing you enjoyed most talking about him. Uh, sorry, with Mark. Uh he seemed to be sort of quite cold on that subject, though, didn't he? I think he seemed to enjoy his time at Bolton a lot more a than little. at Lazio. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's it's the fact that he, he got on the pitch a lot more at Wanderers than did at Lazio. But I really enjoyed his recall as well of the players that he played with, the experiences of his of his time there in in, in a league that I've always found absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah, that was a really really nice little personal moment for me in in, in amongst the, the couple that I've been involved with. So I'm I am grateful for that opportunity. Yeah, I think the, the last thing I'd say on the Mark Fish pod was, as we've said, this is a very, very well-spoken and a very thoughtful bloke. And Absolutely. The, he, the comments that he made about um, South Africa and the, the issues that go on there. South Africa is a country that's very close to my heart. I've, I've been there a few times. Absolutely love it. And you know, it was so nice to hear a, a, a South African footballer's perspective, for starters, but also a white South African footballer's perspective. Because as, as I said to him during the podcast, that is a sport that is traditionally the black sport, whereas the white guys go and play rugby or cricket. And I think to have someone like that as a trailblazer, to hear his side of the story, to show how he's he's making ground and trying to promote the game over there, I really enjoyed hearing that side of it. Me too. Um, like I say, it's, it's really inspirational side of things, isn't it? To, to look at the, the hardships that, that we in, we think we go through and then you compare it against the hardships that somebody growing up on the other side of the world goes through to, to not only make a make a, a go of it as a career, but then when you see him on social media these days, what a positive and happy bloke he is. Um, I think in countries in countries like that, you've got it's probably the easy thing to to descend and wallow into into sadness or or to even to drop down to the level of those that are not wanting to be as positive as he has undoubtedly chosen to be. So yeah, mm-hmm. a, a fascinating podcast and, and a really really good guy. Really enjoyed yeah. it. That that's one of the best things, isn't it? It's always nice when one's heroes live up to expectations. And he, he was so generous with his time, and uh, well, he he was just. I think it was just the. Dip- Sorry, if I could have my time over again, I would have opened the podcast just by going fish, and I think he would have got a <laughs> kick out of that. Just left it at that. Here, exactly. Um, I think I the last thing that... that we could. Sorry, go on, Will. Yeah, no, I was just going to say the, the last thing that I wanted to bring up, really, in terms of reflection on these podcasts, was, was the effectiveness of the of the Twitter questions. I think because it's something that we've always had as part of this podcast, or as long as I've been part of it, anyway. And I think that sort of in in recent times, particularly when we've had all these such high profile guests on, like we've done so well to have them. That the ending of that of these podcasts obviously always rely on on this, and obviously the mood of of the podcast sort of switches somewhat. Obviously, we, we'd like it to be somewhat light hearted when we do. Um, but it, it, it's somewhat taken a bit of a turn in that you know some of them aren't particularly helpful or some of them are. It's it's difficult to sort of make a a, a bit of a you know a, a substantial segment of in in a way. And I just wanted to know what what your thoughts on it were as a as a lasting segment really and how effective it is as, as part of a podcast. I think some I think of our fans shy. need to be a bit more creative with their <laughs> questions. To be honest, Chris, come on, mate. Sorry, what, what do you say, Chris? 
Yeah, no, I, I'm being, I'm, I'm exaggerating. I, I've never particularly liked him, to be honest. I think it's, it's, it's a difficult job wading through some of them less insightful ones, shall we say? Yeah, it's difficult knowing like how to address them and which ones to ask the, the, the guest based on how it's gone or you know what sort of mood we think they're in. I think it's always difficult to sort of tell what 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 to ask and what not to. And I'm I'm just wondering whether there was a whether there was a message you know you sort of wanted to put out in terms of you know not sort of what we expect of them, but you know what 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 we would prefer them to be in future or, or anything like that. I, I, I love listener interaction, and, and I'm, you know, James. I, I think when we've done uh, Twitter questions, I think there's always an element of we're worried about covering things in the podcast and not saving them for the end segment because you know the end segment needs to have some kind of meat to it. But I think fan interaction for these podcasts. This is who we do the podcast for, and so mm-hmm. if they want to get their their burning questions across, then that is all, that is what we, what we'd like to see. But as you say, well, you know, when we had the Zach Clough one, how many how many of those quote unquote questions were? Will he come back? Will he come yeah, back? Will near he come enough. Back? Yeah, so, sometimes yeah. the fans um, on these Twitter questions do just need to try and be a bit, be a bit. Oh, sorry, be a bit more creative. Not like um, do imaginary scenarios. Like, would you fight hundred sized ducks or horse sized ducks <laughs> or whatever, or a duck sized? David Weeter loved that question. In fairness, but I think that says more about him than it does. About yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but no, I do, I do like the uh, Twitter interactions, and you do get some gems every now and again. I just wish we got more of them. Yeah, it's just making sure we're not repeating ourselves, really. And then if if a topic's covered within the podcast, then it's obviously that we're not going to read it out. And I just don't want to disappoint anyone by not having the questions read out or anything. It's just how it naturally flows, I suppose, isn't it? If one good thing came out of the Twitter questions, it was James heading up the Radi Jaidi one by saying, are you a Muslim or whatever? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm so- I thought he was going to hang up, James. I really did. <laughs> I- I'm, so- I'm sorry, but... That yeah, I, I completely own that. I botched the answering that question, but that was a legitimate question. <laughs> it was a brilliant question, end. but just my god. But no, I think I think as a final thing with the Twitter questions, we have to leave it in because otherwise, if Chris isn't on the podcast, how is he going to ask us the burning things that he wants to? So it's going to have to stay in just for your. Benefit, the only Chris. way. It's the only way. I don't need my own segment. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, I think we've sort of come to a natural conclusion there, gentlemen. It's been a very long podcast uh, certainly um it's been enjoyable exactly I, th- I think it's a good way to round off this period because you know it's obviously a terrible situation that's going on uh, around the world and it's being felt not just by us but by the players and everyone i think it's sort of been able to i don't know well, how best to phrase this maybe it's been good to be able to see their perspectives and have them to, to be able to distract them from what's been going on out in the world we're never going to get this opportunity again and I think we've we've done our level best to make the most of it. And we hope you, the listeners, have really, really enjoyed listening to them. Absolutely. Exactly. And for the foreseeable, you can uh, you can forget about listening to me again. So, you know, you can all celebrate about that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. We, we should preface this one. is the last one with Will Jones, like friends or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, exactly. Well, no, it, it, I think it all just comes as a combination of things. But I think it, it's it's a natural end to my time at Line of Vienna. I've... I've you know, really appreciated, you know, your, your support boys on it and, and, you know, partaking in them and, and having the opportunity to talk to these players who, who, you know, were my heroes at one point and, and to some of them still are. So, yeah, it's been thoroughly enjoyable and, you know, it, it may or may not be the last time I join you, but, uh, yeah. Oh, it will. Enjoy. It definitely will. <laughs> you're, 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 lucky, you're lucky you're on this one. I know, um, yeah. Thanks anyway, boys. Anyway, I think it is time to say goodbye, gentlemen, and maybe we'll retire this ending at the this podcast i know james would be very happy with that but Hello. if there's nothing left to say boys then it is time to say goodbye so for one final time say goodbye will goodbye will say goodbye chris goodbye chris say goodbye james 
Goodbye, James. And it's goodbye from me, Selabi.